everyone welcome to another edition of the batter round don't wipe your eyes yes i am paul valley i am back after a week hiatus although i have to be honest it feels like i haven't been here in a month it feels like a very long time yeah it's only been two weeks but it feels like i haven't been here in a month plus i don't know why maybe i just really missed you zach (laughs) I think, I, just, that, I think that's what it was. Maybe I just really missed you. That's but what I missed, it was. I missed all of you. I missed all of you. I was playing golf at this time last week or mm. on my way to go play golf at this time last week down in a uh, family tournament that we do every year called Golf Weekend. And it was a great time. You know, we had a great time. Got to hang out with my dad. And my team never won anything. One guy won a couple of greenies and uh, a clear. Um, uh, Greeny is closest to the pin on a par three, and you still, but you have to make par in order to get okay. it. So he won okay. one of those, and a clear is the lowest net score on a hole, and he got a two on a. Mm. So he had a, he had a birdie on a par four, and he got a stroke on the hole, so he ended up getting a two, a net two okay. on the hole, and nobody else got it. So he ended up getting a clear. So it was it was a good time. He won some money, and that was cool to see. So you guys don't care about that. You care about Love Orioles it. baseball, and there's a lot to talk about today, and we're going to get into all of it coming up on the show today. In about 25 minutes, we're going to have Stan the Fan Charles for his weekly segment. Hopefully, he's feeling better. Uh, one of the reasons we had to cancel last week's show is because of the fact that Stan um, was still feeling under the weather. He had a bout with COVID, um, and he was still not feeling up to doing a show, and certainly not up to coming in and um, maybe exposing Zach to that. Uh, so he graciously stayed home, and we just ended up canceling the show last week. Uh, so he'll be up uh, at around 1025 to talk some Orioles baseball with us. At 11, um, an article that lit a fire under a lot of Orioles fans by um, Tim Prudente and Justin Fenton. Of course, Justin Fenton uh, wrote the book, We Own This City, that is um, the basis of the HBO miniseries, We Own This City, the, the same name. Um, he co-wrote that article about a lawsuit between the Angelos brothers and the matriarch of the Angelos family. And he's going to join us for about 10, maybe 15 minutes to talk about the article and give some clarity. It's a really... You get... Um, Lewis's side. You you sure. he, you hear Lewis's side of the argument. You don't really hear anything from the John Angelo side of things. And he's he's going to hopefully clear some things up. He's been tweeting on social media, um, saying that this is an ongoing and developing yeah. story. So there's still more that's going to come out. Right. But it, it, it's it's more or less a description of the lawsuit. Right. It's kind of what I what I got out of it. Like he doesn't really provide much analysis because I don't think that's the point of the article. It's just kind of to let people know this is what it is and this is what's happening. And like you said, it's updating. And we've even gotten some new information. I think just um, about the day after that the the story originally broke and. It has everyone's eyes on it. That's for sure. I mean, well, it's for, certainly for sure. Attention. When, because one of the first things that you see is in the article is a and I'm quoting this from the article. John intends to maintain absolute control over the Orioles to manage to sell or if he chooses to move to Tennessee in parentheses where he has a home and where his wife's career is headquartered without having to answer to anyone, according to the lawsuit. And that's what people got people up in arms because it's the 
Or if he chooses to move to Tennessee. Right. And we know Nashville's looking for a ball club. We know Vegas is looking for a ball club. Sure. And there were rumors a few years ago that were unfounded that an ownership group was looking to buy and move the Orioles to Vegas. Uh, and then we heard about Nashville. Now, I think that Oakland and the Rays are far more likely to move um, before the Orioles do. Not to mention the fact that there's been talks of expansion in Major sure. League Baseball. So if you want to add two teams, well, there you just add two teams. You don't move another team. Um, I don't know what to make of all this, Zach. I, I, I really don't. I, I, I read the article three times. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, it just seems like two brothers squabbling over the state of their family. Mm-hmm. And one guy saying, well, I'm running the show. And the other guy being like, well, that's not what dad wanted. <laughs> let, right. me, let me have my piece of the pie, too. Right. So we'll, hopefully it all gets worked out. I got to tell you, though, man, you look at the Orioles, right? And they went through 14 straight years of losing. We call those the dark ages of the Orioles franchise. They haven't won a, a World's, I almost said Super Bowl. They haven't won a World <laughs> Series since 1983, since before, well before you were alive and just a year before I was alive. Right. They have 13 winning seasons since 1983. Or since ni- yeah, since 1984. Okay. Playoff appearance, what, five times? Five, five playoff Sounds appearances. Right. Yeah. Five playoff appearances since the 83 World Series. Then you look at the fact that after their five-year run where they won more games than any team in the American League, they've now lost 100-plus games in three seasons out of the last four. The last three full seasons, over 108 losses each of those years. Uh, 2017 was an 85-loss season. Mm-hmm. This year is going to be an under 500 season. And you were 10 games under 560-game season. So we're looking at six years of losing baseball, right? Couple that with a $33 million payroll and your top prospect missing the first month of the season with an injury. Sure. Your top pitching prospect going to be out likely the rest of the year. Maybe he comes back in September, but at at that, that point, what's the point? And now you have the ownership squabbling. Right. This is just a bad look for the franchise, and it's kind of par for the course at this point, right? Where we're looking at just an ill-fated franchise, it seems like. At what point do we just say, you know what? Because it seems as though, just from what I've garnered from this article, mm-hmm. it seems as though Lewis and Georgia, Peter Angelos' wife, Want to sell the team? That's the gist that I got. Yes, that's the this. that's the, the, the way the, the article the, makes it the, out to sound. The, yeah, these two want to sell the team, and John Angelos has said, "Nah, he's nixed a couple of deals." Right. Apparently, um, it seems to me like the best thing for this franchise at this point is to find a local investor, mm-hmm. get the the paperwork going, and get this team sold. The fans deserve better than this. It, it's just one one black eye after another. And I think that's what we're headed toward. I mean, I, I, I think we we talked about it two years ago on the show that John and, and Luke could be looking to sell the team at some point because I, I think, frankly, you, you have Peter Angelos being the father who controlled the team for over 20 years, longer than that, frankly, and, you know, turned it over to his sons, which we don't know in, you know, really if they both wanted the team or not and if this was their goal to be able to run the baseball team. I mean, they, they got handed this off, essentially, as a hand-me-down, and... We always kind of figured that, yeah, they'd, they'd one eventually sell. One hell of a hammy I mean, Well, it is one hell. I mean, the whole fortune is. Um, but 
I think we kind of both figured that they'd sell the team at some point, that this wouldn't last forever, that, you know, John, he may have interests otherwise in business and that the Orioles may not be his focus, but it seems that John really does like running the Orioles, and that's kind of his passion now, and that's kind of what he's taken over, and he's become the guy there. Um, and that kind of surprises me, but then again, I do think that we're headed towards a sale at some point. Um, and if if two people are on board in the family with selling it, and John isn't, then there's obviously going to be some some issues there, and that's kind of where I, I think we are at this point. Um, I you know people immediately think oh well if they sell the team then the new owner can do anything they want with the team and that's correct like they they could take it anywhere they wanted but I'm going to tell you right now the Orioles aren't leaving that's not going to happen because John is going to make sure clearly he said the Orioles will be in Baltimore till Fort McHenry is you know it, it is is it's, here and, 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 and we all know in Baltimore that franchise owners have never lied before. Well, you're not wrong, but look, you really think they're going to move? I mean, I, I completely... No, I, 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 I don't... I think I, John I, will find a, a buyer that will keep the team in Baltimore, and that, oh, I th- that will be... Oh, I think he can find a buyer mm-hmm. to keep the team in Baltimore, but I don't know if he wants to. Again, this 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 article does not give John's side. No, this it is, doesn't. You're this right, article right. gives Lewis's side. And I think the whole the, the part about Nashville and that John has some business ventures there and his wife has some business ventures there... It's more of Lewis speculating and right. saying... Well, and they even said in the article, there have been no allegations right. of John showing any attempts to get the, 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 the juices flowing for moving, for moving this team. Right. And it wasn't that long ago they came out and said, the Orioles will stay in Baltimore as long as Fort McHenry lo- watches over Baltimore. Right. You know, now if suddenly for some reason they demolish Fort McHenry and they put up a, <laughs> and they put up a Harris Teeter, then maybe you can be a, then maybe you can feel like uh-oh. always need more Harris Teeters. Yeah, um, but look, to me, we're we're just at a point where it's like I'm I'm, I'm tired of the embarrassment. Mm-hmm. I'm tired of this franchise being a laughing stock. They've yeah. been a laughing stock. The majority, the only reason that they weren't a laughing stock when I was a kid was because of Cal Ripken, right? But they've been a laughing stock. My entire adult life, mm-hmm. and we're going on twenty years of that. And just figure something out. We got to get something figured out. Let's move forward, and let's. And here's the other thing: if they do find a local investor, they're not going to buy the team to be bad, right? No, you're not going to buy this team and be okay with continuing to lose. So I would have to imagine that if you sell the team to a local investment group or Let's just throw, let's say Kevin Plank, right? Sure. Under Armour. There's no way that he's coming in here and not saying, "All right, go spend money mm-hmm. and get this team back to where it needs to be." There's no way that they're, that they're not doing that, right? I I guess it depends on the investor. Um, but I, I again, I, I would think that they would pick someone out who both. Of the or all the ownership group now that that still remains would agree that would would make this team a better team and would would try to spend money and try to take this team forward and, and you know kind of keep it out of controversy which it's been uh, through a lot of in the past few years obviously with the rebuild and then where you know this whole lawsuit and everything and and, and just trying to keep the team out of the public eye I guess a little bit more um, is what the next owner could do and take them back to prominence take them back to spending money and frankly make them the team that they were in the 1970s and 80s I mean that's kind of the goal of Michael Elias 60 70s and the 60 70s and 80s right and I mean that's been the goal of Michael Elias and I I do believe that John and Louis share that uh, vision but it's it's coming to a point where something has to change to to I guess change the overall well, outlook for this team in the future. I was led to believe 
by people who have been doing this a lot longer than me that Lewis willingly took a step back from the mm-hmm. team. Mm-hmm. That he didn't really, he just wanted to focus on his father's. Um, That's what's been reported. Law, law yeah. firm. And that John was the one who took over. But this lawsuit uh, uh, makes the accusation that he was forced out because he was working for the. Uh, John Angelos wasn't involved with the Orioles after 2009. And Lewis worked with them from 2013 to 2016. You're right. John at, left for a little while. He right, worked yeah. directly with the ball club. And the only reason John came back is because after their father fell ill, Peter asked him to come back right. and help with the ball club. And so yep. he did. So I was led to believe that Lewis willingly took a step back. But it would seem, at least based on this article, that that is not the case. Now, Zach, what about you, man? Do you have enough money to invest? Do you want to invest in some ownership here and, and get look, this team back to fruition? Look, maybe in uh, ask me in thirty years. I'll, I'll be on board then. But I, I think right now, oh, man, you're gonna be. A I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not years. sure my multiple thousand dollar net worth is gonna uh, gonna cover the sale well, of the I, team. I gotta, but keep, I gotta I gotta keep you as a friend if in thirty years look, you're gonna have billion dollars. Maybe if we put our funds together, we can we can uh, we can get like I don't know about that. We well, can how, get a point point two percent of the team. How about this? Maybe you have enough money. To invest in a Toyota RAV4. I probably do. <laughs> All right. And today's show is brought to you by your local Toyota dealers. Make the most out of every day in a Toyota RAV4. Available in hybrid or gas-only models. A RAV4 can get you where you want to go in style. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new RAV4s from your local Toyota dealer today. We're going to get more into this article from the Baltimore Banner by Justin Fenton. Um here at around the 11 o'clock, in the 11 o'clock hour, Justin's going to join the show and give us some clarity on this. And like we said, this is developing an ongoing story. So sure. I'm sure we're going to learn more in the days, weeks, months, and years to come because we have, we know anything about the Orioles, and I think we do. These things tend to drag out quite a bit. So we'll... Sure. I mean, <laughs> law- lawsuits always drag out quite yeah, a bit. We'll, this, uh, is, this is not the end of the story here. We're, we're in year 73 of the Masson dispute. So. Oh, God. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, moving on. The Orioles did play a game last night, even if it seems like they didn't show up. They lost to the Kansas City Royals 8-1. to Are the Kansas City Royals record-wise the worst team in baseball? Do they have the worst record? Uh, it may be. I know they're not that far off from some other teams uh, that are at the bottom of the barrel. I think the Reds might still be the worst. Bottom of the barrel. Let's, uh, let's, get, let's get into the records real quick. Pull up my handy-dandy standings. The Royals have the second worst record in the American League at, at twenty and thirty-seven, uh, as the Oakland Athletics are twenty and forty. They've lost ten straight. Athletics mm. have lost ten straight, and they have the third worst record in all of baseball. Actually, the Athletics do have the worst record in yeah. baseball. I, I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm saying that the Royals have the third oh, worst right, record, yeah, yeah, record in yeah. baseball, and I figured it'd be the Reds because the Reds were. I mean, they went like three for their first. 17 or something like that as far as wins go so they no, they, they were 3 and 22 3 and 20 <laughs> and then they went 12 and 8 the next 20 years right and now they're 20 uh, 20 and 38 somehow so yeah so uh, it's uh 17 and 17 and 16 ever since they started 2 and wow. th- 2 and wow. 32 so um well look the Orioles have found themselves on just just a really really poor streak here with the starting yeah. pitching has been yeah. awful Bruce Zimmerman, man, I don't know how he ever had success based on the way he's been pitching the last month. And it seems as though his changeup is just sitting. It's hanging right in the top of the zone. I mean, it, it's, it's right not, in the middle of the strike yeah, zone, yeah. and it's not moving. No. It's it's basically a glorified batting practice fastball. It's like a Tom Eshelman fastball. Sorry, Tom. Right, right. <laughs> and, and it's he he's getting beat beat up. Basically, right. and then Jordan Lyles, he had a he had a what was that a three five eight ERA or no I'm sorry a three six five ERA in May, the ERA is over nine mm-hmm. in his two starts in June. 
Uh, he hasn't been good the last three starts. The Orioles' rotation as a whole. I mean, yes, two days ago they were down 4-1 to one after the second inning. Mm-hmm. They were down 3 nothing after the first inning last night. They find themselves down 7 nothing in the fifth inning. Mm-hmm. They finally score a run on an Anthony Santander home run. Timely hitting. In, in the ninth inning. And, th- and here's the other thing that I was going to bring up until he hit that home run. He had two hits last night. The Orioles, I think, have four as a team. He had two of them. What is going on with Santander? The last two years, he can't hit. I, He's good I, for the occasional home run, but he, the batting average is below 240 this year. He's below mm-hmm. 240 last year. He, he he was hitting 261, I think, when he got hurt in the in yep. the truncated season. I think he was hitting right around that same mark. Um, when he ended up, he ended the season really poorly because of the shoulder issue yep. in 2019. Suddenly, this guy just can't hit anymore. He can't hit for average. He'll 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 hit, he'll hit the occasional home run. He'll have the occasional two or three hit game. But get, but watch, he had two hits last night. He won't get a hit for three games. You're probably not wrong. I mean, that's been kind of the pattern with him. I. You know, I I guess that 2020 season, it was I'm just looking it up now, is 37 games and 165 plate appearances. Mm-hmm. And maybe there was a bit of overreaction from people including us in the media about what he did that year because it was such a short well, sample but the, but size. The, but the thing is, his first year of extended playing time in 2019, he hit 20 homers. You're right, he did and he hit 261, which right. was a, a drastically higher average than and, where and, he's at and now. You're he, right. And he was hitting above 290 going into the final month of the season. Yeah. And he had the labrum issue and he couldn't hit after that because it, it, he was in pain. So he comes out in 2019, he hits 261 with 20 homers and that's with with um, basically I think he went like 3 for 31 in September before they shut him down. Right, right. Right. Then 2020 he comes out He's on fire the first month. He's among the league leaders in hits, RBIs, um, not not batting average, but he was among the league leaders in extra base hits, home runs, and RBIs. Yeah. Misses the last month of the season and still wins most valuable Oriole. Mm-hmm. Then last year, he hurts the ankle. He had got off to a really bad start that hurt the ankle at the end of April and was never the same player. And this year, what's the excuse this year? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I... I don't know. I mean, it's simply. I mean, even the, simply the bats. <laughs> We're gonna. The, the, by the way, Glenn Clark Radio. Um, the 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 lineup is also stronger around him. He's got more protection in the lineup. Right. There really is no excuse here. I don't know why. Simply that he's he's not being as successful. And you look at the on base percentage. It is the highest it's ever been at three thirty seven, which is quite a bit higher than it was even twenty nineteen. How many walks two, does he have for the year? Twenty eight. Okay, which okay. was is five more than he had in, in the entirety of right. last year. It feels However, like it was only, it wasn't that long ago that he got his twenty third walk. He is walking more. He is, but, wa- but the that, walk rate has come down from the beginning of the year. The walk rate, frankly, is the only thing here that's the rede- a redeemable quality of of his hitting numbers. I mean, you've got ten home runs, fine, but he had eleven in thirty seven games in in twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. So the power's fallen off a little bit. The average at two thirty six is drastically lower than he had in nineteen and twenty. I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's simply the fact that he's not hitting as well for, for average. He's not getting on base by hits as much. He's walking more. That's fine, I guess. But you definitely want to see him hit for a little more average. And it's definitely concerning when you see his power numbers have dropped off a little bit too in, it, with the fact that there's more protection in this lineup and that you've got Cedric Mullins and Austin Hayes and Trey Mancini and all these other guys around you that are hitting well. I mean, in 2019, he was like one of the only guys, right? He was mm-hmm. one of the only ones. It was him, so, v- it was him, VR, and Mancini. Right, and that was basically it. And now there's up and down the lineup, it's not too bad. And it's definitely concerning. I don't, I don't know. I can't p- put my finger on what the issue might be for him. Meanwhile, Kyle Stowers is down in AAA, and he's tearing the cover off the ball. And, and it puts you in a, in a unique situation because 
you know what Santander can do. Sure. And there are times when his offense has carried a team. I mean, you look at that game uh, in 2020 where they scored five runs off of Max Scherzer, and he hit two home runs off of him. Yeah. They ended up losing that game because of a pass ball by uh, Pedro Severino, and then he he comes up with the bases loaded and strikes out in a big situation. Um, Not like I, you know, have I ever harped on that game. Um, But anyway, um, (laughs) so so you don't – and you have team control, so you're not going to DFA No, no. uh, uh, Anthony Santander. And especially he hits in the middle of your order every game. Right, you're not. Yeah. Gonna, you're not gonna, and unless you trade him, and I don't know that you're gonna get a willing trade partner for him. So, what do you do about Kyle Stowers? Well, I I think Stowers is one of those guys. And we talked about it with Rutschman, and we talked about it with a lot of the top prospects that you can't bring them up and not play them. He's not gonna come up and sit exactly. on the bench. Exactly, that's that's my point. Right, so so you have to do something with one of them. Austin Hayes is one of the better players in baseball right now. Mm-hmm. Cedric Mullins is slumping not what he was in uh you know in, in 2021 but he's still a guy you're probably not going to get rid of at the time especially you're not going to trade a guy at his lowest value point that's right. just you're not going to do that with Cedric he's to be fair he has a lot more value you could say the same thing about Santander but I think Cedric has a lot more value in the long term and he's probably a guy that you want to try to get you know hit a few more home runs get the average up a little bit and then you deal him if, if that's the way you want to go Santander is easily the most replaceable starting outfielder you have. He's the guy that has been around for a little while. Um, he's been around through basically all of these rebuild years. And he looks to be the guy, I think, that, that could easily uh, be the first one out. And, and, and it, you could easily trade him. You're not going to get a ton. The, I thing, mean, the thing about Santander, as I said a couple of years ago, that I thought he was going to be the best player to come out of this rebuild not named Adley Rutschman. Mm-hmm. Because he has power from both sides. At does. that point, he was tearing the cover off the ball. And he plays really good defense. In right field, like mm-hmm. he—he's not the most fleet of foot, but he plays really good defense. He's playing left field last night, though. Whew. That was not a—I didn't see that. I was I so was he Bobby Wood Jr. hit a line drive and he didn't break back on it, and it simply just went over his head. He just uh, did, he did not he broke back really late. Well, and that's the other thing. And then yeah. a lazy throwback in, and he got a triple. I'll, I'll tell you, I've I've played right field um, a lot in my life. Mm-hmm. And moving from right field to left field is very difficult. Well, that's that's see that's on Brandon Hyde though. Why why is he moving Austin Hayes and Santander basically every well, night back in and forth? In 2019, Santander is playing left field every day. Right, but what's the point of moving these guys and, and switching their spots every Hayes, night? Hayes that's questionable. Has the arm to play right field? He does. He absolutely and does. the and the defensive skills to play anywhere mm-hmm. in the outfield. Um, honestly, I feel like Hayes should be playing center field at this point. I think it should be Hayes. Oh, in center I agree. Field. I think it should be Mullins in left field. And you've watched Mullins throw home, and it's laughable. God, it's it's, so, it's, 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 right. it's 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 laughable. His arm is more suited for left field. Yeah. Um, and you know Santander can play. His arm can play in right. Um, and Austin Hayes' arm certainly plays in right. You you should be have you should, every day. It should be Mullins in left. Mm-hmm. It should be Hayes in center, and it should be Santander in right. And you you shouldn't change that up. Now people are gonna get on me for saying, oh, you should move Cedric Mullins to left field. Well, he's so good. He yeah he's fast man and he catches a lot of baseballs. You know where you need to be fast and catch a lot of baseballs? Left field. Right. Yeah. And his arm is more suited for that position. Right. You're throwing from four ten in center field. You know from the deepest part of the park in Camden Yards. Uh, from about what three eighty in left field. So you know you're you're gaining about thirty feet. Um, mm-hmm. as far as you know, on, his on, arm is going to play better on a base hit to left field with a guy on second base. Mm-hmm. Mullins has a far greater chance to throw him out right. than he does from yeah. center field. Right. Hayes can throw. You're going to see if if you move Hayes to center field. Mm-hmm. If you move Hayes to center field, you will see a lot more guys nabbed at the plate. Oh yeah. And a 100%. lot of guys not trying him because everybody in baseball 
is beginning to recognize this dude's an elite defender. Right. And he's got an elite yeah. arm. Now, we got to move on real quick. Uh, another top prospect made his professional debut at two years to the day after being drafted number two overall. Heston Kerstad was activated off Delmarva's injured list last night. He went one for four in his professional debut, and he drove in the lone run for Delmarva in their <laughs> loss. I think they lost four to one last night. And he drove in the lone run on an RBI ground out in the first inning. So Heston Kerstad, he's already 23 years old, man. He's yeah. already 23 years old, and he's just now beginning his big league career. I mean, his, his professional career. You're hoping there's no more setbacks, no more hamstring issues, no more myocarditis. No, and look, that one he can't help. No. That one he can't help. And, and you get that the, that the hamstring injury is him. He, he's rearing to go, and he's just he, he probably overdid it too early in camp, right? So hopefully he's back, he's healthy, he has no more injury issues here, and he can get going here and... Hopefully make his way to Bowie maybe by the end of the year, beginning of next year, and be part of the Orioles' plans in 2024. And then at that point, he'll be 25. Uh, it's time for him to get going. And I don't really know I don't really know what to expect out of Hessen Kersad at this point because he is 23 years old. It's not likely he debuts before he's 25 years old. And at that point, you're looking at another Trey Mancini where you get a few years out of him, and then when his, when his next big contract comes up, he's already in his 30s. Right, you're looking at a guy with Heston Kerstad, Zach. Where, how does this not play out the same way that Trey Mancini has at best? Yeah, I mean he's 23 years old already, and a guy being 23 in Delmarva is certainly a concern. And I, you know, Paul Mancano was on the the Orioles pregame show last night and, and mentioned how he could be in Bowie by the end of the year. But even if he is, you're still looking at what, at best, a late 2023 debut. At, mm -hmm. at best, and, and when he be, if and when he becomes an everyday player for the Orioles, he's gonna be 25 years old. Right. So yeah, right. Then, it is going then, to be and a tremendous. By the time he gets his he gets an opportunity for his first big contract after arbitration, he's in his 30s, and you're probably ready to move on. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's just, and it's not. This is this is no fault of his own. You or the Orioles. Yeah, frankly. Right. Right. You can't blame a guy for getting myocarditis. You can't blame a guy. For being amped to be in spring training yeah. and be healthy after not after being drafted number two overall, and not being able to start his professional career because of 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 a, of a health issue that had he had nothing to do with, and then he tries to go too hard. Right. I mean, we Bryce Harper is one of the best players in the game, and we watch that guy run face first into a wall because he was playing hard. It, it, tell these guys not to play hard. It, you, you can't do it. You know, and I, I can't blame Heston Kershaw for the hamstring injury. He was amped. You know, uh, what are you going to do? You're going you're gonna to tell him, hey, don't go hard, man. No, we know, we know, we know, we know you, you're two years behind the eight ball here, but don't go hard. Man, but right? two, two years after you're, you're drafted, you did. To the day. That's rough. That's to rough. the day. Well, hopefully he can hit the ground running. And, yep. You know, one for four and drove in the lone run for Del Marva last night. That's a good start to his career. With that in mind, joining us on the show today, haven't talked to him in a while. He is Stan the Fan. Charles, Stan, good morning to you. How are you feeling? You feeling any better today? I'm feeling getting getting there, getting, getting there. there. Well, I'm glad that you sound a lot better than the last time we talked. So that's, well, that, that's still got a, I've still got the um, a little tiny bit of the after effects of having uh, gotten through the COVID, but then my allergies kicked in again immediately afterwards, and they've. I'm pretty sure that's what's got me going. A yes. lot of a lot of coughing and wheezing, and uh, but I don't feel that bad. I'll tell you, Sam. The allergies are kicking my butt too. I was, I was yeah, a leaky false the allergies. I, I think they're going to find my nephew Josh and I were talking about it the other night. We we're texting back and forth because he's gotten hit 
terribly with allergies this year, and I said, I'll bet they'll find it's another another uh, result of uh, global warming. Yeah. Somehow. Yeah, yeah. There's always something, man. There's always something. Yep. Now, I know it wasn't in the notes that I sent you, but we were just talking about Heston Kerstad, and he had his professional debut last night, Stan. One for four, uh, drove in the lone run on an RBI ground out in the first Let's inning. bring him up to Norfolk. Yeah, Let's right. Let's go. Right? Let's go. Is it saying he debuted yesterday um, on the two-year anniversary of the day that he was drafted number two by the mm-hmm. Orioles? And we were just talking about how it's not his fault that he got myocarditis, and he 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 hurt the hamstring playing hard, you know, trying to make a diving play out in left field. So uh, I can't blame a young guy whose career has been sidetracked uh, trying trying to go hard. You know what I mean? But at this point, he's twenty-three years old. It's looking like he won't be here till he's 25. What is the best case scenario for the Orioles with Heston Kerstad? Uh, best case scenario is they get a uh, good five to seven years out of them. You know, eight years. I mean, you know, we, we're so we're so busy looking for the next great thing that mm-hmm. uh, you know you might have a very fine player for eight years, and that would be the worst case scenario for the Baltimore Orioles. And he'd yeah. make a lot. He'd make a fair amount of money in eight years. You know, yeah. eight, nine years. And we're we're, we're talking about how. I he, mean, we're talking about a big chunk of a man's life, and we're like dismissing him already. That well, he won't get here at least twenty five. Mm-hmm. What what's the difference? You know, in the grand scheme of things. Well, you the, know, who are we? Who are we feeling bad for? Exactly, who is that bad for? For him? For the franchise? For the fans? I mean, you know. I think we get caught up in this prospect, prospectitis. Yeah. And I think it's, a, you know, uh, the guy got started last night. Let's hope that he he can make a, let's not call it meteoric rise, but that would be a real nice rise if he can go from, from Delmarva to Aberdeen to Bowie this year. That would be fantastic. Yeah, no, I I agree with you, Stan, and I guess, uh, and and, and that's a fair point, that we get caught up in this prospectitis, and it's like, well, this guy needs to be here by the time he's 22 years old, and he needs to be hitting 40 home runs by the time he's 24, right? Right. But I mean, four four weeks ago, we were talking about how terrible it was that Rutschman wasn't up, and does Rutschman look like he's exactly ready to, to be a star right now? But that doesn't mean he shouldn't be up, it just means we... You know, we get caught up. Look, look at Spencer Torkelson's having a terrible year. You know, with the uh, Detroit Tigers. Um, you know, uh, Bobby Witt looks like he's about to turn the corner and become a really nice player. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think anybody doubts that these players are going to be something significant in their careers. Yeah. I guess my point there, Stan, is you look at a guy like Trey Mancini who came up when he was 25, and all he's done, <clears> with the exception of the time when he had the knee injury from sliding into the wall and then cancer, he's done nothing but hit. And that he's yeah. back to doing that this year, but he's 30 years old now, and he doesn't have a contract for next year. And yep. and you're wondering if Heston Kerstad's going to suffer the same fate because once you get to 30 – you're kind of old news in baseball, no matter when you debuted. And so I look at that, and so I guess my worry is for the player. You know, because I think that if it, he was drafted number two overall for a reason. If he comes up here and he plays that way, there's still no guarantee that he's going to get a contract once he's through arbitration. Right. right. So I guess for him, it's, it's being able to maximize uh, his financial earnings um, to the best of his I think ability. right now, uh, Heston is probably really more 
focused on just playing and yeah. staying healthy. Right oh, of course now, he is. You know? Of course he is. And and hoping the numbers will be what they what they should be. Right. Now, Stan, you you mentioned Adley Rutschman batting just one fifty three, a four fifty one OPS, no home runs, no RBIs, just three extra base hits in sixteen games. Now, Stan, I'm not concerned yet because you mentioned guys like Bobby Witt and Spencer Spencer Torkelson. Julio Rodriguez got off to a really slow start too, and they've they've all, with the exception of Torkelson, they've started to turn the corner here. But at what point should we start to get concerned with Adley Rutschman? Uh, I you know. Depends what your expectations were for him. You know, I've I've never had these huge expectations that he was going to to win batting crowns and lead the league in RBIs or home runs. Right. I think he's going to be a really terrific complementary player on a team in a leadership position. You know, mm-hmm. I think his his number one thing when he gets settled in will again be his defense and his leadership on the team, you know, and he's a switch hitter. And, uh, look, we interviewed, we interviewed, uh, Glenn and I, the other day interviewed, uh, Jim Bowden for his show and, uh, that I sat in on yesterday and, uh, Bowden said, not worried about him at all. You know, in two or three years, he'll be the best catcher in the game. Well, and, uh, and- that's good enough for me, you know, and I'm watching MLB Network the other day, and they're doing a whole segment on Adley Rutschman. And they said, "Look, you mm-hmm. don't need to you don't need to change anything. Just keep playing your game, and, and the numbers are going to come." And and, yeah. uh, and and that's how I feel about Adley Rutschman. But you can't help but notice a lot of these people yeah. on social media who are like, "Oh, they brought him up too soon. He doesn't look like number one overall pick." And it's like, it's well, there are the same in. people that th- three weeks ago were sending out the meme of him as a seventy year old saying he won the. Rookie of the year in two thousand fifty-two. Right. You know, right? right. Uh, you know, there's there's an awful lot of noise on social media about everything. You know? No, you're 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 absolutely right about that. Now, Stan, the Orioles had been playing some really good. They had been playing some really good baseball. Yeah, and then they're they're entering <clears> this this eleven game stretch where they play Seattle, Cleveland, the Chicago Cubs, and the Kansas City Royals. <clears> People <throat> are saying, "Oh, the Orioles might go on a, on a nice little run here." Nine yep. games into that stretch, Stan, they're three and six. Yep. You know, uh, and well, it's, it's, it's supposed dis- to be a 12 game dis- stretch. This is disappointing, uh, these last two games. And I'll be quite honest with you. I'm a baseball fan first and foremost, but mm-hmm. I watched Thursday night, I watched the House, uh, you know, uh, January 6th committee, uh, was, was prime on my viewing. Mm-hmm. And last night, I watched, uh, one of the most incredible basketball games, you know, uh, between the Warriors and the Celtics. Right. Uh, uh, performance uh, for the ages by Steph Curry. Um, that that uh, sort of trumped watching uh, Bruce Zimmerman. You know, yeah. Um, you you uh, look at that, you know this this is a team that we're playing right now that is sort of down and out, mm-hmm. and to go in there and that's the that's what we can do for two nights. It's uh, Disappointing. Yeah, you, know. you you look up at 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 the uh, I look up at the TV because I had to work both Thursday and Friday. But I look up mm-hmm. at the TV, and in the second inning, Jordan Lyles has his team in a four to one hole. And then I look right. up at the TV yesterday, and it's the bottom of the first inning. There's the Zimmerman's still on the mound, and they're down three to nothing. And right. it's like this is the Kansas City Royals hadn't even won twenty games yet, and you're watching them just just put it on the Orioles. Yep. And then, and, and the offense, look, uh, the offense has come back from big deficits. They've been a comeback team this year. But when you're consistently down early to one of the worst teams in baseball, 
it's got to be disheartening for you. I mean, and and then you know Heasley one hit allowed in seven innings, seven shutout innings last night. Yeah. He was absolutely dominant against yeah. the team. Do we have? It, it seems like the Orioles play the better teams harder. And, and I'm not saying that they're not yeah, playing hard. Yeah, I won't. I won't disagree with that. You, you know? know, but they yeah. they go up against the, the these middling to low rent teams and. They can't get the well. Talent I wouldn't talent. call Seattle and um, I wouldn't that's call true. Seattle and Cleveland low rent teams. That, that, they're they're further talent. along than the Orioles by far. You know, and 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 the big difference between the Orioles and Cleveland, while you look at our day to day lineup and you go, "Wow, we match up nicely with Cleveland." We don't have Zach Lesac. We don't have Shane Bieber. You know, we don't have pitchers like that. Right. We've got a second tier maybe third tier rotation and it's being pieced together um but with loincloth, you know, uh picking up Austin Voth, picking up Logan Allen. It's always gonna be trying to create a story that they can talk about for two or three weeks. You know, I'm sure in three, four weeks we'll get the Matt Harvey story, you know, for four or five starts, you know. Yeah, no, you're, you're probably right. It's, it's all about, like, treading water through a season. Uh, and, again, I'm not saying they should have gone out and spent $75 million on, on two pitchers or something like that. But to, you know, to pick up um, Jordan Lyles, and that was sort of it, you know, I yeah. think Jordan Lyles has done sort of what he was supposed to do here. I agree. Been a little, little, little disappointing that he hasn't been keeping the team a little bit more in games, but he's been able to eat up some innings. But that that's where they stopped, you know, yeah. with, with him. Yeah, and, uh, and he had he had a three six five ERA in six starts in May. And then over yep. nine ERA in June, and then yeah. Um, and, and look, the, the Orioles, to to their credit, they were a bloop away in each of those in each of the series with Seattle and Cleveland from winning those series. Yeah, uh, and they could have been four and two instead of two and four in those, and it just yep. didn't, didn't work yep. out that way. Two 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 run losses. It, it two one run losses. Excuse me. That happens. That's baseball. Now, but I remember I remember hearing this was. I was down in spring training about five years ago, and Billy Epler was the general manager of the um, Angels at the time. Uh, he's certainly got a better job now as general manager of the New York Mets. Um, and he was talking about how they were concerned that they only had like eight or nine candidates as starting pitchers. Right. And And I'm going, eight or nine, and you're, like, concerned about that. He said you needed, like, 11 or 12, you know, starting candidates in this day and age with injuries and different things that pop up here and there and all all that. And, boy, was he right, because in no time they had a couple injuries and they fell off the the face of the planet that year, you know. And that's sort of what the Orioles tried to do this year, they tried to come in with smoking like, like his Mike's Mike's main objective has been to get the pipeline of of everyday position players geared up, and that's when he made those comments ten days ago about hey we got blue skies. That's what he's talking about is hey we've done the heavy lifting of doing that, but it's almost like he is totally ignored pitching. 
Um, and I get that when you're a guru with the analytics and all that, it tells you not to draft young pitchers, you know, high, high because they're too risky. But, uh, I don't also see where they're going to come up with the pitching to ever match the hitting that they have right. now, you know, uh, with, in with, the pipeline. With that in mind, do you yeah. anticipate them doing more this coming off season to address the starting rotation than they I did mean, this I would, past I would, I would think they'd have to, you right. know. I mean, you're going to, let's, let's be honest, next year you're going to go into the season with Grayson Rodriguez as not a suspect or a project, but it's, it's not like we know for a fact this will not have residual issues right. going into 2023 season, okay? Right. I mean, we can agree that he's pretty much um, going to be on lockdown the rest of this year. They're yeah. not going to take Yeah, the I, risk I don't of see any him. reason yeah. to pitch him again yeah. this year. D.L. Hall is a, is a suspect in terms of, I, I don't think there's any question D.L. Hall will be a successful major league pitcher and perhaps very successful. But will he be Josh Hader or will he be, you know, uh, you know will he be Jacob DeGrom? I don't know the answer to that, and they won't know the answer to that. They'll they'll get some answers on him if he stays healthy. Um, and those are the two guys. John Means is certainly somebody you're you're kind of counting on as a as a an important cog in the starting rotation. Mm-hmm. What's the best case scenario for him that he's ready to start games in June next year? The, the, uh, they say that now it's a nine to 12 month injury, but it can linger to 15 to 18 months. Right. I, I think right. if you get him back in June, that's, uh, and we yeah. saw Chris and Sale. About, you know, and we're talking about getting two or three starts where he pitches three innings or something, you know what right. I mean? And then gearing up, so by by the All Star game next year, maybe John Means is back to what he is, and then you got this whole coterie of failed guys. And frankly, they were from the previous regime. But but you give credit to the previous regime, previous regime for Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall, but they don't deserve kudos for Alexander Wells, Michael Bowman, Zach Lother, Cody Sedlock, Blaine Knight, uh, all failed. You know, um, Mike made what he thought was a smart trade from a surplus, and he picked up a a starting prospect in Kevin Smith. Kevin Smith's been awful. I mean, you know, he's been, uh, that's a failed, that's a failed deal, you know. And other than that, the only things he's done pitching-wise that are of any, that are of any import were Jordan Lyles for one year and picking up Kyle Bradish. He has not improved the starting pitching one iota. Yeah, and you got You have to imagine that yeah. with these prospects graduating to the major league level and the, all the high draft picks spent on college bats, there's probably going to be another another high impact bat, whether it's a high school or college yeah. player this year. Yeah. You have to imagine that at some point, and hopefully it's this coming off season, he really seriously addresses <laughs> the starting rotation. Now, Stan, we only have well, a few. Jim Jim Bowden um, made the point again about the wall. And he said that that wall was designed by Mike Elias to do one thing. That's attract some pitchers that won't mind pitching in yeah. Camden Yard. I, I think that, I, that was my initial reaction as well. So well, let's keep our fingers crossed. You know, and we, I left out one guy. I know we got to move along. But Dean Kramer 
is 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 inching his way back into being interesting. Yeah, you know? no, the, the control in his rehab stint was impeccable. He walked mm-hmm. the one guy that he honestly it should have been a strikeout in the first inning of his of his uh, comeback start. And the next guy ended up hitting a three-run homer, and then he gave up right. nothing after that, and no walks either. Yeah, so, so I'm I'm anxious to see what Dean can do over a four or five start thing. He's going to get another shot tomorrow in Kansas City, yeah. so we'll we'll be sure to be yep. tuned into that. Now, Sam, elephant in the room, and we we, we have to talk yeah. about it, even though we don't know a lot about what's going on. Uh, Tim Prudente and uh, Justin Fenton wrote an article for the Baltimore Banner that came out two days ago, uh, and apparently. Louis Angelos is suing John Angelos and their mother, Georgia Angelos, um, mm-hmm. sa- stating that John intends to maintain absolute control over the Orioles to manage to sell or if he chooses to move to Tennessee, where he has a home and where his wife's career is headquartered, without right. having to answer to anyone, according to the lawsuit. When you read this, right. what was your knee-jerk reaction? Well, uh, sadness, to be honest with you. Yeah. you know, Here's a local family of uh, great renown. That that bought this franchise back and you know put together the group that could buy the franchise out of uh, bankruptcy in 1993. So they've owned it longer than anybody. They've owned it 29 years now, mm-hmm. uh, and it, it's uh, sadness um, that that this is sort of um, evolved, devolved to this pissing match between two two sides of the family. It's sad for them. It's sad for the fans, um, but if the two worst things in the lawsuit are that uh, he fired Brady Anderson and that he's intending to move the team to Nashville, then I don't think we have any real real substance to, to any damages that he's done to the Baltimore Orioles. Um, I, <clears throat> I won't give you the name of this person, but the former general manager in the major leagues, <laughs> that I've been friendly with for, for years. And I called him up um, about, a, uh, about four and a half years ago, and I said, hey, I said, I'm not saying I can definitely get you an interview with John Angelos, but would you have any interest in... And he goes, Stan, I, you know, he goes, I don't know, it's such a crazy situation there. And he was sort of asking me for some information. I said, look, I said, I don't think Dan's going to be back, you know, and they're going to need somebody. I said, would you have some interest? He goes, the first thing I'd do if I got a meeting with him is say, what the F does Brady Anderson do? And who does he answer to? Yeah, we were Um, wondering that, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I mean, that was a really just an awful situation to put him in that position. Uh, Sort of like he was sort of... Working for Dan Duquette, but he was really higher up than Dan Duquette because he had the ownership's ear. Mm-hmm. You know, those two pitchers that I'll admit I was excited the, the couple days when they signed Andrew Cashner and Alex Cobb. Turned out that those those two pitchers came from his agent. Right. You know, so that was very low hanging fruit for him to accomplish something like that. He never really he never really suffered from. Uh, any, um, you know, uh, downturn in power because of that, you know, I mean, he was there, but it's turned out that he was sort of Lewis's guy and John and, and the dad's guy, you know, uh, and you, you sort of knew that any good baseball man worth his salt 
wasn't coming in until that was clarified in the way that it was clarified. Right. Now, yeah. what, what, we're see- what we've read in the article is that it, it seems that there may have been a couple of opportunities to sell the team, and John nixed that. And it doesn't seem as though Lou was very happy about that. Georgia mm-hmm. seemed intent, based on, just based on what I read in the article, Georgia seemed intent on selling the, the ball club herself. Do you think she that probably wanted to sell the club because she could foresee an issue like this arising, which yeah. is and it's kind of an, very embarrassing for the family. Uh, and and let's not forget what's about to happen Sunday night, the Paul McCartney concert. Yeah, that's so, true. So he, it's like Lewis in his vengefulness is sort of dropping a turd at John's doorstep, you know, yeah. to embarrass him in front of uh, what should be sort of a shining moment for, for John and and the franchise that they're able to put pull this off. I just want to say one other thing. I, I don't know what what Lewis has to prove, you know, what Peter's intentions were. But remember one thing. At the end of the day, you, you think you own the franchise. It's it's a major league baseball franchise. Mm-hmm. And Major League Baseball has approved John Angelos to run the Baltimore Orioles. That's true. I'm not sure Lewis would have gotten that same approval. Okay? Mm-hmm. So whatever's going on between the two of them, we're never really going to be privy to know the deep, dark secrets of that. But I will tell you that Major League Baseball um, approved John Angelos to be the man running this team. Yeah, no, you're 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 absolutely right. I'm interested to see how this all plays out. I just yeah. want it out of the public eye at 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 this point, Stan. Because yeah. like, like you said, it's embarrassing. Look, it's really it's really ironic that this occurs, and then the very next day, there's a pissing match about the Los Angeles Chargers and the Spanos family with the same exact dynamic going on. Yeah. You know, we always envy people that have money. It's mm-hmm. it's not. It's it's not without you know uh, a certain kind of punishment for people that have money. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Stan, thank you so much, man. This was a great conversation. We look forward to talking to you again next week, and I hope you start to feel better. All right. Where was Zach? Uh, Zach was just just kindly listening. You know, Stan, okay. I, I I had nothing uh, to add. So I, I felt Paul covered I, it all. Over. I love talking to Zach. Uh, He's uh, the smartest. When when the <laughs> three of us are talking baseball, Paul. He's the smartest guy in the world. I don't know about that. Hey, I don't know about he's, that. Well, he wants to be a scout and then a general manager one day, so I, mm. I get that. He has to be the smartest Hope guy so. in the room. All right. We'll talk to you next All week, right. Stan. Take care. I'll talk to you soon, guys. I'd right, see you. And that was Stan the Fan, Charles, who has two great shows for you every week. Every Monday night, Stan and former Orioles pitcher Ross Grimsley visit with a different guest from the world of baseball. And every Tuesday night, Stan and Gary Stein chat with a different newsmaker from the world of sports. This week, Stan and Ross caught up with the Orioles legend Mike Boddicker, while Stan and Gary chatted with rock star UMBC softball pitcher Courtney Coppersmith, who is returning to school to pitch for another year while also pursuing a Ph.D. Find those shows under the Videos tab at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports or at PressBoxOnline.com slash video. Stan and Ross are back on Monday with former Hall of Famer President, former former Hall of Fame President Jeff Idelson and baseball photographer Gene Fruth. We are not going to break just yet. 
Not going to break. Okay. Yeah. No. Okay. Because well, we got to get in sounding off because then we got to uh, break yeah, and then we got to right. get Correct. Justin Fenton okay. on. So um, Zach is going to sound off for us about the importance of managers. Today's sounding off segment with Zach Goodman is brought to you by the Live Casino and Hotel in Maryland. The best place to be for the playoffs and all the big upcoming events is the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel. Bet on every sport with 61 self-service kiosks open 24-7 and watch all the action from the best seat in the house. Tonight, Glover Teixeira defends his belt against Yuri Prohaska in the main event of UFC 275. I think it's Prohaska. Catch all of the action in the FanDuel Sportsbook while you cash in on all the many prop bets available. Reserve your spot for tonight's fight by emailing events at sportssocialmd.com. Zachary, what you got for me? Yeah, I want to talk about the Angels uh, and the move they made this week, firing a veteran manager by the I was name shocked. of Joe Madden. Right, I, I was shocked too, and I, I think a lot of people around the league were, frankly, because you look at what it, the Phillies did with, with Joe Girardi a few weeks ago, and that wasn't surprising in the slightest, because Joe Girardi, um, you know, not the not the greatest manager in the world. And I, I, I want to preface this by saying I do think there are good and bad managers in baseball. I think the job of a manager is very much to create a good culture and promote good player development. I think those are the two biggest jobs a manager has. And I don't necessarily think that Joe Madden was failing in either one of those categories. I think it was a very unwarranted firing, personally. Um, the Angels were... They're in a bit of a slide right now. They, Mike Trout was was in like an 0-for-22 stretch where he was struggling. And the whole team, frankly, is struggling. Otani hasn't been the same o- player Otani offensively that he not was at last all. year. Right. And even the pitching hasn't been as good for Otani. And frankly, the pitching was well overperforming for the Angels. They they had a lot of guys that were pitching well above their their you know current role, I guess, and their current ability. Um, and that's why the Angels, to start the season, were, were doing pretty good. I mean, they were in first place in the AL West for a little while. They were yeah, the best record in the American League at one point. Right. They did. And they were, they were really... They were really playing well, and they were overperforming. I think it's fair to say. And I, I'm not going to get into whether that was you know Joe Madden or not, or if he had any influence on that, because I, I do believe I'm, I'm of the minority opinion, I guess, that managers do not have a significant influence on day to day win loss record. I just don't believe that a manager can turn around a team so greatly so quick. Like by firing Joe Madden, you're gonna get you know whoever uh, takes over, the guy which is that, the guy the, that takes Tyler over. Nevin's father, uh, yeah. Phil Nevin, is not gonna make a significant difference in the win loss record. I think again, the job of a manager is not to um, significantly influence these wins, but it's to promote good player development for the long-term picture. And I think the two kind of go hand in hand because good player development eventually leads to win, lo- I know your win-loss record and becoming better. But I, I, I believe that Joe Madden was fired in a kind of unwarranted situation because I, I don't think he, somebody, he was the fault for the, the Angels gotta, losing. Somebody's got to be the scapegoat. Right? Well, exactly. And yeah. you're not going to fire the whole team. You're not going to fire the GM. So who are you going to fire? Right. You're going well, you're, you're to fire the manager. And then, but and you look at it. Joe Girardi wore out his welcome in, with the Yankees, right? And it was because he they, he. They felt like it, it, the reports were that the locker room kind of felt like he was out of touch with today's right, game. Right, and I think that's why Girardi was f- fired from the Phillies as well. Well, and and then you look at the Phillies; they've won eight games in a row mm-hmm. and seven and zero since they fired Girardi. Yeah. So uh, it seems to, and you also you have to take into account the fact that sometimes a team will start to play better after the manager gets fired because they're embarrassed sure. that their poor play got their manager fired if he's yeah. their guy, right? And, and to me. I think that the manager does make a big difference because in, look in at what culture, look, yes. Look at what Buck Showalter has done for the New York Mets, and and when you look at the fact that they've pitched, mo- they've spent most of this year without Jacob Degrom mm-hmm. and Max Scherzer, two best pitchers on the freaking planet. 
And they still have one of the best records in the National League, and they're first place by a good bit mm. in the in the NL East. You look at the um, San Diego Padres mm-hmm. with Bob Melvin, with basically the same team they had last year, minus Fernando Tatis, and they are far and away better than they were last year. I saw something on MLB Network last yesterday that said that the Padres have not had a pitcher pitch on normal rest, on four days rest, mm-hmm. since May 9th. They've had 40... Six occurrences this year where a pitcher was pitching on five days rest. And if you look at their rotation, Joe Musgrove is seven and zero with the major league leading one five zero ERA, and they have the third best rotation ERA in baseball behind the two hundred and fifty million dollar Dodgers and the two hundred and fifty dollar fifty million dollar Yankees. But and, see, I, I, I would... and, and, and you, you're going to tell me the guy was so insignificant as a manager. I can't even remember his freaking name. The manager of the Padres from last year. Oh, uh, Tingler. Jace T- Tingler. J- Jace Tingler. You're going to tell me that the Padres will be doing this this year with Jace Tingler instead of Bob Melvin? Bob well, Melvin but, but is that's... 100%. And then all you have to do is look at what Bob Melvin did in, it, in Oakland with a low payroll and not a great club and had them in the playoffs every year. I think it boils down to culture, and that's my that's my point with this. I think that Joe Madden is a guy that promotes a good culture, and I think the Buck Showalter is absolutely. Buck Showalter, the players love him. Everyone loves the guy. And I think with Bob Melvin, same thing. Players love the guy. And I think that's what it boils down to. I don't think that you know making the lineups or the pitching decisions that they make are really that, uh, I guess, I- impactful on what happens day to day. I just don't think that... By you know putting out a lineup card that would be slightly different than what Jace Tingler would have done, that Bob Melvin is, is drastically changing the win loss record. I think that's the misconception there. I think that the culture that they they cultivate and promote is is the most important thing in why these teams turn around from you know frankly a mediocre team to a good team. And I think that's what Buck Showalter did. I think it's a hundred percent a culture thing. And that's why I said I think they're good or bad managers. I mean, I, Jace Tingler, you're right, bad manager. Bob Melvin, really good manager. But the, the the fact is is that the lineup cards they're putting out or the pitching decisions they're making in game, I don't think have a drastic effect. And a lot of that comes from the front office too, which is also I, I guess a, a, a misconception is that you know the, the front office, especially these days, is really sending down a lot of these lineups and and pitching decisions. So you think you know, the, the front office is doing that? I think in some cases, sure. I mean, the the, the movie well, uh, or the book, sorry, the book uh, Astro Ball talked a lot about how the Astros did that. Yeah, and I mean. You looked at if you watched the movie Moneyball, mm-hmm. Billy Bean trying to give, trying to tell him who he wanted playing and where he wanted them batting, and the manager being like, "This is my ball club." No, that too, right? Yeah, sure. And I, Buck Showalter probably not a guy who gets bossed around by the front office. Oh, I, 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 I imagine. Can, and, I, and I think that that's why he and Dan Duquette butted heads so much because yeah. maybe Dan Duquette yeah. tried to run things a certain way, and Buck was like. I'm the on-field manager. I'm doing things my way. Right. He's definitely... And Bob Melvin, probably the same thing. The the veteran manager is definitely... I, th- I think that if you're looking at it from a standpoint of a man... Kevin Cash managing the, the Rays and Brandon Hyde managing the Orioles, yeah, probably not a huge difference, mm-hmm. right? But then you look at it, you take... You get rid of... um, Who was the manager of the Mets last year? Uh, was it oof. Rojas? It might have been Ro- yeah, it was Rojas. You yes. get rid of Rojas yes. and you bring in Buck Showalter. You get rid of Tingler, you bring in Bob Melvin, uh, and I think that those guys are difference makers. I was shocked to see Joe Madden, um, Joe Madden get get the yeah. boot, and I think that he was saying that he was anticipating the Angels when he got the job that that might be one of his last stops. Yeah, I don't know that he gets. Uh, I think he he could have any job he wants in baseball. Yeah. Uh, the question is, does he want one right. anymore?
So, look, we got we really got to catch a break. We're running behind here. Uh, when we come back in here on the bat around, we are going to have the the author of We Own This City, the same name of the uh, HBO miniseries is based off of his book, and the writer of the John, John and Louis Angeles lawsuit article for the Baltimore Banner, Justin Fenton, joins us after this. Hey, be more. The Orioles 2022 Birdland Summer Music Series presented by Miller Lite kicks off Friday, June 17th with Flo Rider. After the O's take on the Tampa Bay Rays, stay for the post-game concert and watch Flo Rider perform live from the infield. The concert is free to all fans who attend the game, with the option to add special on-field access. With hit singles like My House and his latest single, Wait, what better way to watch Flo Rider perform live at Camden Yards on June 17th? Buy tickets now at Orioles.com slash music. Baseball is back, and so is the spring seasonal menu at Glory Days Grill. Start with the opener, flash-fried pork belly with our popular Korean number no. 2 sauce, and take a bite out of the Crunch Burger topped with home-run sauce, white American cheese, and house-made chips. It also features irresistible options like a baseball-cut sirloin with blue cheese, grilled shrimp with garlic butter, and a strawberry salmon salad. And then there's the closer, the Cracker Jack Sunday with a waffle, ice cream, and Cracker Jack. This menu will be going, going, gone at your neighborhood Glory Days Grill. GloryDaysGrill.com to find out more. Great food, good sports. I'm Griffin Bass, and I have the extraordinary, mind-blowing, and life-affirming pleasure of being the new producer for the absolute funniest, smartest, and most handsome sports host in all of Baltimore. Wait a second. Glenn, I'm working for you, not Jeremy Kahn. If you're not listening to Glenn Clark Radio, here's what you're missing. He's Coach Kevin Willard. Glenn, thanks for having me. Baltimore Ravens wide receiver, Rashad Bateman. Thank you, I appreciate it. He is outfielder Cedric Mullins. Thank you guys for having me. Trey Mancini. Thanks for having me on, guys. Mr. Marcus Williams, who's now with us. Man, I appreciate it. Happy to be on. Ravens kicker Justin Tucker. Thanks for having me. Adley Rutschman. Absolutely, thanks for having me on. John Angelos. Thanks a lot, good to be with you. Ryan Mountcastle. Thanks for having me on, guys. Marlon Humphrey. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Talia Tungavailoa. Thank you guys for having me. He is J.K. Dobbins. Thank you for having me. I had a great time. The great Ray Lewis. Always good to be on. He is Mr. Cal Ripken Jr. Good chatting with you. Watch Glenn Clark Radio at youtube.com slash pressboxonline and listen live at pressboxonline.com slash radio or anytime on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or anywhere you get your podcasts. The Toyota Tacoma comes in a wide range of models and trim lines. You can choose the perfect Toyota to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. Stan the Fan here, welcoming back one of my favorite sponsors, the Costas Inn. And everybody around Baltimore knows the Costas Inn is a great place to go and grab crabs, steaks, salads, soups, whatever's on your mind to eat in person. But did you know that the Costas Inn has upped their game? They are now one of the premier takeout places in Baltimore. Give them a call now to order your food, 410-477-1975. That's the Costas Inn, over 4100 North Point Boulevard. Sports fans, the wait is over. The all-new FanDuel Sportsbook is now open at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover, Maryland. This is your chance to win big right in your own backyard. Bet on every sport with self-service kiosks and watch all of the action from the best seat in the house. Make every moment more at the all-new FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover. Please play responsibly. Gambling problem? Please call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit mdgambling.com help.org all right we're back live here on the bat around on this dreary 
Saturday morning here in Baltimore. Just want to remind you that today's show is brought to you by Simply the Bets and Weekend at Bookie. Sports betting has come to Maryland, and we're ready to help you win some money. Tune in for Simply the Bets every Tuesday morning at 1140 with FanDuel Sportsbook General Manager Leon Twyman and VEASAN's Aaron Oster as they join the guys every week to give you all the info you need and offer you a few winners. And every other Thursday at 1140, tune in for Weekend at Bookie. This is Andrew Stecker and Alloy Sports Brad Cronenthal help make you some money for the weekend. So come win some money with us on Simply the Bets every Tuesday and Weekend at Bookies every other Thursday. Brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino in Hotel Maryland. Listen to PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. Watch at YouTube.com slash PressBoxOnline. Boy, that is a mouthful of a read. That is a, that is a long... I, it really is. That is it a really long is. read. All right, so tune in for Simply the Bets and uh, Weekend at Bookies every Tuesday for Simply the Bets and every other Thursday for Weekend at Bookies. Joining us on the show now, he has risen to fame with his book, We Own This City. That's the basis for the HBO miniseries of the same name. Uh, He just recently wrote an article for the Baltimore Banner uh, with Tim Prudente that is stating that Louis Angelos is suing John Angelos and their mother, Georgia, um, saying that John has has tried to grab complete control of the Orioles franchise. He is Justin Fenton, and he is live now on the bat around. Justin, thank you for taking some time for us this morning. Sure. Good morning, guys. Um, so let's let's dive right into this. You co-wrote this article with Tim Prudente, um, and it basically is stating that John Angelos um, that he was he claims that he was supposed to have control with his brother of the Orioles franchise and the rest of the estate that for that matter once their father fell into ill health. But John has seemed to have grabbed complete and total control. Um, how did this information come to light, and what kind of clarity can you give us on this situation? Yeah, this, uh, these accusations are being leveled in a lawsuit that uh, John uh, Louis Angelos has brought against his brother and, and their mother. Um, and really, it brings to light a lot of, um, uh, I, I guess, family secrets, uh, uh, Orioles team drama that, that really the public hasn't been privy to. Um, it, uh, you know, it sheds light on why there have been personnel moves, such as the firing of Brady Anderson, um, it talks about uh, attempts to buy to uh, sell the team. Uh, it, it sort of lays out that um, their mother wants them to sell the team, and that and that the Los Angeles alleges that his brother's been misleading her. Um, so there's a lot to unpack, and it's uh, because it's a lawsuit. It's going to take a long time to play out. Right. I think one of the things I've been trying to emphasize is that I typically cover crime, and you know, criminal cases might take nine months to like a year and a half, sometimes longer to play out. Civil litigation takes forever, years and years. And with the team's lease uh, running out next year, uh, there's a lot of stuff up in the air with this. Yeah, and you mentioned very early in the article, and this is a quote from the article, John intends to maintain absolute control over the Orioles to manage, to sell, or, if he chooses, to move to Tennessee, where he has a home and where his wife's career is headquartered, without having to answer to anyone, according to the lawsuit. The glaring part in that snippet is... Or if he chooses to move to Tennessee, there are a lot of fans who really do believe that the Orioles are trying to move the team to Nashville, uh, and a lot of a lot of fans after the, after this article article came out, Justin, they seem to be taking joy in being validated rather than kind of knee knocking over the fact that maybe their franchise is moving. Is there any validity to the idea that this team could be moving? Yeah, I think this is super important to stress because I saw that as well. A lot of people reacting to that line in particular. And it's a very tantalizing thing for 
um, Louis Angeles to have put in this lawsuit. But really, as he's uh, in through 46, 49 pages of this document where he's unraveling all different types of things that have been going on over the years and citing text messages and emails and meetings, there is no accusation that John Angelos has tried to or even has uh, floated the idea of, of moving the team. It absolutely plays into fans' fears and rumors that have been going around, but it's not something that, that um, he can point to as anything that's, that's actually in the process of ha- happening. More so, he's trying to raise the issue of, you know, my brother's in complete control of the team and he could do anything that, that, that he wants to. And if he wanted to do this, he could do this, but there's nothing to point to that. And we haven't heard John Angelos's side of this either. I want to be clear, we're trying to get that. This is a one-sided um lawsuit and and there will be a response at some point we've reached out to john angelos and his lawyers and just haven't heard anything back yet but i think the fans need to know that nothing in the suit that points to the team there being anything in the process of moving the team well and 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 i'm glad that you said that because i was going to say it myself that this was the article is one-sided in the sense that you're basically just describing the lawsuit from louis angelos's side why he's coming forward with this lawsuit and you mentioned that he said, even though there's no allegations that John has taken any steps to move this franchise, he's saying that he has all the power, so he could do that if he wanted to. And you 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 cover crime and you cover lawsuits and stuff like that for the Baltimore Banner. How much is this? He wants a jury trial. He's trying to play on the emotions of people that could end up being in the jury uh, for uh, that could vote in. Uh, on his uh, in his favor because of the fact that he's playing on their emotions, saying that well he could move this franchise if if I don't get what I want. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, anytime there's a loss or, or dispute, the, the one side that's filing is gonna is gonna put their best foot forward. They're gonna pre- present the facts as they see them. Certainly, there's there's another side to this, and and hopefully that comes out sooner than later. But. You know, at the moment, I think what's interesting for me as a fan of the team, and I am a lifelong fan of the team, mm-hmm. um, you know, I always just sort of thought that this was the arrangement the family had worked out, that me John too. was going to run the team and that Lewis was going to run the law firm. And really, the suit, you know, brings out that, like, that is not, you know, not, not everybody's on board with that. Um, and in fact, you know, he, he talks, he uses the word unilaterally over and over again about John sort of seizing control of the team and just pushing forward. You know, there's a there's a description of a, meeting in, in which their mother sat them down for 90 minutes and had like a legal pad and was sort of saying, here's how things are going to go. And she had this plan to actually take the family out of the day-to-day you know, public eye of running the team and create this board. And John would be the president, Lewis would be the vice president. And that like he turned around, John turned around and, and, and you know, created a new leadership structure with him at the top and, and, and Lewis not involved at all. And so it, it really just, it, it, it's clear that there's, you know, behind the scenes, there's been a power struggle that we that we have not been privy to, and um, yeah, now it's now it's spilled out into the public. And you're you're mentioning um, the 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 how he was going to make it. John was going to make himself the has made himself the CEO and whatnot. The article makes it seem, and, and simply because all you're doing, you're reporting on what the the lawsuit is from Louis Angelos's side. My, from my multiple readings of it, it seems as though Lewis is trying to paint John as the big bad wolf that wants to blow the Orioles' house down by doing whatever he wants with the team. It also makes it seem as though Georgia would rather sell the team, and probably because of what's going on right now, and that Lewis wants to be involved so that maybe he can sell the team because apparently John's nixed a couple of these uh, a couple of opportunities to sell. Yeah, I mean, again, uh, going back to the question about moving the team. You know, far from trying to 
move the team or sell the team. John is painted as someone who very much wants to be in control of this team, does not want to sell it, has rebuffed uh, efforts to sell that there were people who were approached and, and there was discussions in 2020 that he kind of shut them down, that then they came back in, in May of 2020 and said, hey, really, we're interested in this, and that the family even tried to, to get a lawyer involved to try to talk to them and work it out, and that he just wasn't hearing it. So, yeah, he paints, he paints his brother as someone who, you know, far from trying to get rid of the team, wants to control the team. You know, he, it, it, it's sort of his time to run the franchise, uh, and that that's a, a point of um, dispute because there's other members of the family who have different opinions about how things have gone. It also sort of airs allegations about how the team is run, about uh, he claims that John wants to surround himself with yes-men only and that that's what led to the firing of Brady Anderson. Mm-hmm. And these are things that we, we definitely want to hear more about and hear John Angelos' side, but we just haven't gotten that yet. And, and because you don't have John Angelos' side, you can only go based on what we've seen from Lou's lawsuit. And uh, it, it seems as though Peter Angelos' wishes were that the boys, his two boys, his two sons, uh, split this thing, split the entire state from his law firm to to the Orioles to whatever other assets they may have. And if John has taken secret ste- has secretly taken steps to have full control over the estate and all of the assets, what kind of a case does he have in the if he's uh, going in defense of this? If he is going against Peter Angelos's wishes, yeah, I mean, ultimately, this stuff is going to get into some really complicated areas of trust law, and I mean, there's a discussion of, of documents that were signed or not signed. Um, shifting of, of assets and LLCs and things like that. So you know, sort of the top-line takeaway for Orioles fans is that there's a dispute over the future of the franchise, but ultimately in court, and again, his family is steeped in law. You know, that, that's how they, mm-hmm. the family fortune was gained. There was complicated asbestos litigation. You know, should, should this thing go to court, I think it ultimately might get into some really complicated matters. Um, but again, that's going to play out over a long period of time. In the, in the meantime, uh, Louis Angelos has asked for like preliminary injunctions. He wants to stop his brother from being able to make any drastic changes, such as selling the team or selling Masson. That Masson bit is a whole other thing. Uh, but you know, these, these these court orders could potentially impact sort of you know the crucial decisions that need to be made down the line as it, as it, as it uh, pertains to the, the team's lease and he sale of the team, the sale of Masson. The courts are going to you know potentially have have oversight of these types of things. So if, if he fi- tr- goes to file for that injunction, what does that mean for the Orioles in the present day? Because they just, they just uh, passed uh, the, these two bills, and one of the bills gives them $600 million to make upgrades to the stadium and the facility in general. Does that put any of that on hold, or can they still move forward with that? Yeah, I, I think the injunction is designed to prevent any sort of drastic changes in, uh, you know, in terms of you know, selling, moving, whatever. I think mm-hmm. it actually could end up being a positive thing for the team in the sense that you know, not making any drastic changes means keeping the status quo. So, you know, there's an option for them to renew the lease for five years. You know, it's entirely possible that because things are up in the air that they might have no choice but to renew that option for the lease. So, you know, in a way, this could actually stabilize things for the franchise. But again, it's very, very very early on, and it remains to be seen whether this suit has legs, will be dismissed, or that they can reach some sort of a agreement to, to, to you know, take this out of the public eye and, and settle things down. And you were very clear on on your uh, Twitter handle that this is an ongoing and developing story. So this is certainly not the the end of this. is really just the beginning. Uh, I guess Absolutely. my fi- my final question for you is: at this point, should or and you said yourself you've been a lifelong fan. Should Orioles fans be concerned? You know, my, my reading of it was that John Angelos sees himself as you know, his, his father ran the team. 
for almost three decades, and it's his time. And I think that um, you know, and uh, the, the injunction, even if su- successful, is going to is going to call for n- no drastic changes. So I think that for now, while it's clear that there is some major dysfunction in the Angelos family and perhaps the upper ranks of the front office uh, and ownership, uh, I think that I think that for you know, people shouldn't fear any drastic things happening. This is actually could be a, a stabilizing thing. All right, that sounds that sounds good to me. Kind of um. Kind of calms down a little bit of my nerves after reading the article a couple of times that you wrote. Uh, and I really appreciate you, Justin, coming on and explaining these things because I'll be honest, when it comes to legalese and all these different things, I am a buffoon. So I appreciate <laughs> you uh, clarifying everything that you wrote uh, in this article a couple of days ago. Before we let you go, I do want to congratulate you on the wild success of We Own the City. Just absolutely incredible stuff. So congratulations to you on that. And is there anything that we can plug for you moving forward? Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, we are definitely still trying to get the word out about the Baltimore banner. You mentioned it, but I'm sure some, many, if not, if not, uh, well, I'm sure there are, there are listeners who haven't heard of it yet. But basically, uh, this is a new media outlet for Baltimore. It's a nonprofit news. I was at the Baltimore Sun for 17 years. But this is a new site that myself and many of my colleagues, as well as reporters from all over the country, are starting up. We're launching very soon. I'm not at liberty to say when, but I'll say very soon. And we reported this for the banner through our sneak peek newsletter that we've been putting out, which is also accessible on the site. And I just ask people to, you know, we're not going to have a lot of sports coverage early on. I think we're going to try to do some prep sports at, uh, in the interim, but but as far as local news and investigations, things like that, uh, we're, we're hoping that people will check us out. So thanks for letting me uh, throw that in there. No, absolutely. And thank you so much for coming on uh, and clarifying the issues for us. Hopefully we'll get to talk to you down the line, all right? All right, sounds good. Thanks. All right, take care. That was Justin Fenton of the soon-to-be-released Baltimore Banner, also the uh, author of We Own This City, the basis for the HBO miniseries that is just... Have you watched it? I haven't, but I, you know, Stan's nephew's in it, obviously, so I, Josh, I, I probably Josh should. did not know until a couple weeks ago that that is Stan's nephew. Yeah, I, I, I figured out this at the NFL draft, actually, was when I, when I kind of put two pieces together. I was like, oh... You know what? That's yeah. <laughs> that makes Stan, sense. Stan's nephew, but yeah. Nah, um, so when you have a wife, when you have a girlfriend, when you have a boyfriend, whoever's listening, okay, you can um, you realize that you can't watch shows without them. There are shows <laughs> that you can watch where I you mean, know y- you, y- you know you it can. only it only interests you. Uh-huh. But if it interests both of you, you cannot watch shows without them. So we are only there's six episodes. We just finished the fourth one the other day, and this this show's been out for for about a month now. Uh, we just finished the uh, fourth episode the other day, and it's John Bernthal's fantastic. Josh Charles is fantastic. The whole show is fantastic, and yeah. I have I have I have unfortunately not had the opportunity to read the book yet. We do have the book. We just got the book, and I'm going to read it here soon. Okay. Um, but from what I hear, the 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 show is exactly the book. Okay. So that's cool. That's cool. There's no dramatizations or anything we'll like have that. To get, uh, we'll have to get Josh Charles on here at some point and talk his, yeah, uh, I'm, talk I'm, his I'm, always fandom. I'm sure he'd be, he'd be willing to come on. We had him on Glenn Clark Radio uh, okay. not, not too long ago, and he was um, Big very, very knowledgeable. Oh, yeah. Very knowledgeable, oh, yeah. Which, which was cool. So thank you. Special thank you to Justin Fenton. That was, that was awesome. Yeah. And, and yeah. to all of you people out there that have been saying, oh, I told you so. They're moving the team. You owe me an apology. I don't owe you an apology. Justin Fenton just said this is actually probably a good thing. There are a lot of people who think you uh, owe them an apology for some reason, Paul. I got blamed. (laughs) I got blamed solely by one particular person who also claims I owe him an apology. I got blamed Mm -hmm. by this person for the wall. 
in left field. <laughs> apparently, you, yeah, apparently Paul Valley, the host of the bat around, has ever-reaching power. Congratulations and I, and, on and, your and new I, role. And I, I called up Mike Elias. I said, hey, man, here's what I want you to do. This guy, <laughs> I want to piss him off, move that wall back 30 yeah. feet, raise it another five feet, Screw Trey Mancini out of, out, of, out of home runs. The Screw Ryan Mountcastle out of home runs. Screw the taxpayers. I want this wall. Paul Valley, host of the Battle Round, has spoken. Make it happen. And Congrats. that's what happened. That's Congrats. what happened. Beautiful wall. Uh, that, that's what happened. That's I don't I don't know if you know this, but I also have Eric DeCosto on. Uh, uh, mm, yeah, I, I yeah. have his here. And, guys, Lamar Jackson is going to sign an eight-year, $16 million contract. He's going to play for $2 million a year and lead yeah. the Ravens to multiple Super Bowls. I just I, I hope you guys know. You, you better make him get some wide receivers. That's yeah. uh, That should be your goal, Paul. That's, like, that's, call him up. Julio Jones is still a free agent. Let him know. Will Fuller. Dude, Will Fuller Julio would be great. Jones' leg is going to fall off. I mean... We are really behind. Yeah, we are. We are We are really behind. I could comment it, on some Ravens receivers. It is now time. We're not going to break. Okay. Are we going Never to Never mind. We might. We're going to go to break after Orioles banter. Okay. We're going to do the payoff pitch around the league. Salvador Perez and A.J. Melendez drove in three runs apiece and started Jonathan Jonathan Heasley allowed just one hit in seven shutout innings as the Royals pounded the Orioles 8-1. to one. Bryce Harper had three hits and Reese Hoskins uh, slammed two home runs as the rejuvenated Phillies won their eighth straight, taking down the D-backs 7-5. It took 13 innings, but Oriole killer Jose Trevino put a hurting on, hurting on another team for a change, delivering a pinch hit walk-off RBI single in the bottom of the frame to lead the Yankees past the Cubs 2-1. to one. Nelson Cruz and Josh Bell combined for six hits and six runs batted in, including two home runs as Nationals crushed the Brewers 11-5. Jose Ramirez homered and doubled twice to back Tristan McKenzie six innings of two-run ball and a Guardians 3-2 win over the A's. Bo Bichette, George Springer, and Lourdes Gurriel each homered, doubled, and drove in two while Jose Barrios spun eight innings of one-run ball in a Blue Jays 10-1 thrashing of the Tigers. Dansby Swanson had three hits and two RBIs to back five and two-thirds shutout innings from Spencer Striders as the Braves extended their winning streak to nine games with a 4-2 victory over the Pirates. The Twins got three home runs, seven hits, five RBIs, and five runs scored from their one-through-three hitters as they routed the, the Rays 9-4. Not at a three in the eighth, the White Sox scored five runs in the bottom half, highlighted by a two-out, two-run home run off the bat of shortstop Danny Mendick to take care of the Rangers, eight to three. Jazz Chisholm and Jesus Aguilar each homered twice and drove in three apiece to lead the Marlins past the Astros, seven to four. Despite not one player from either team recording an RBI, the, court, the Cardinals scored twice on two separate errors to squeak out a victory over the Reds, two to nothing. Paul Goldschmidt walked in the victory to extend his on-base streak to 46 consecutive games. Brandon Nimmo and Mark Kana each had two hits and three runs driven in, and every player in the lineup had at least one hit as the Mets handed the Angels their 15th loss in 16 games on Friday, 7-3. to Joe Musgrove pitched six shutout innings with eight Ks, the lowers major league leading ERA to 150, and improved to 7-0 with a Padres 9-0 victory over the Rockies. J.D. Martinez snapped a 19-game homerless streak on Friday to lead the Red Sox over the Mariners 4-3. And finally, Jock Peterson and Brandon Ruff combined for five hits and five RBIs to lead the Giants over the rival Dodgers 77-2. The same Jock Peterson that got smacked in the face by mm. Tommy Pham. That's a great story. You know, that is like one of the better baseball stories. I should have sounded off on that. That was so fun. I don't he was know. Like, so it was funny. He was, wasn't he like the commissioner of their baseball, fantasy, of their I, fantasy, fo- fantasy football league? So I think they were in a league that was commissioned by Mike Trout, is what okay. I heard. And then uh, Jock had some issue with, I don't know. It was a whole like issue. Like a trade of, or something. Yeah, something like that. Shop I, about it and so I don't know. Trent, uh, <laughs> was it Trent Grisham or Tommy Pham? Uh, Tommy Pham. Tommy yeah. Pham. Yeah. Tommy Pham 
smack the ever-loving piss out of out of uh, Jock Peterson. Like, Jock I, Peterson I don't know. has I, a smackable face. Like, like if you no, look at look at Jock Peterson with with, with his bleach blonde like yeah. top of the head mohawk. Yeah. I guess that's where all mohawks. I can are, see you with one of those, honestly. I had a mohawk for a bit. I, I knew it. I knew um, it. Not for a bit, but I, I did have one at one point or two. Um, but with <laughs> and that's that face. He's just a smackable guy. Oh, I know he is. I, I, I feel like Tommy Pham probably had a lot of fans in that fantasy football league. They were like, man, I wanted to smack that guy so bad. Yeah, Thank yeah. you. I heard someone say Mike Trout is the worst commissioner of all time. But anyway, really? moving on. Yeah, they say he's horrible. Um, anyway, moving on to the Saturday games we have on tap today. The Rays, the 34-24 and Rays against the Twins. Shane Baz against Chi-Chi Gonzalez, 210 at Target Field. The Rangers and the White Sox, Martin Perez versus Lucas Giolito. Two pitchers having a really good year at guaranteed right field at 210 p.m. Yeah. At 2.15, the Reds and the Cardinals. Hunter Green, the rookie, against the veteran Adam Wainwright. D-backs, Madison Bumgarner, and the Phillies, Zach Wheeler, will go to battle 4.05 at Citizens Bank Park. The Brewers and the Nats, two lefties, Eric Lauer, Patrick Corbin. Corbin looking to get back on track. Lauer looks to continue his excellent season so far. 4.05 at Nats Park. Your Baltimore Orioles with Tyler Wells on the hill at 4.10 at Kauffman Stadium will face off against Daniel Lynch, the lefty, and the Kansas City Royals. Athletics and Guardians, Frank Montas versus Zach Plesak, 410 at Progressive Field. Ryan Feltner, his Rockies go against Nick Martinez and his Padres. Padres look to keep going. I mean, they're playing a lot better than I think some people expected. 36 and 22. That'll be 410 at Petco Park. Blue Jays, they'll start Kevin Gaussman, has been one of the better pitchers in baseball this year against Bo Brieski with the Tigers. Bo looking to get back on track. Gaussman looks to keep continuing a good season. 410 at Comerica Park. Zach Thompson, Charlie Morton, the Pirates and the Braves, 410 at Truist Park. Marlins and the Astros, lefties, Braxton Garrett and Framber Valdez. Valdez with a 261 ERA. Braxton Garrett, a 10-8 ERA. 410 at Minute Maid Park. The legendary Clayton Kershaw against Sam Long as the Dodgers face off against the rival Giants, 715 at Oracle Park. That's a must-watch game. Really good one there. Cubs and the Yankees, Matt Swarmer versus Jordan Montgomery, 7-15 at Yankee Stadium. Cubs looking to get back on track. The Yankees, I believe they have the best record in baseball at 42-16. Very, very difficult team to beat. Incredible offense. Mets and the Angels tonight. Carlos Carrasco and the budget Shohei Otani, Michael Lorenzen, 10 uh, 7 at Angels Stadium. Rockies and Padres, Kyle Freeland and Mackenzie Gore will go head-to-head. The two lefties, 10-10 at Petco Park. And finally, that's a game two of that doubleheader, by the way. And finally, Red Sox and Mariners over at T-Mobile Park at 10-10. Michael Waka, who has a 1.99 ERA. 1.99 ERA somehow this year against George Kirby, the rookie, as the Mariners look to get back on the track and the Red Sox look to move up out of fourth place. So let me ask you something, man. You mentioned you mentioned Kevin Gossman. Okay. And he's one of the best pitchers in baseball this year. And he is. He, he is he one, has of the best been. Pi- one of the best pitchers in baseball this year. If he wins a Cy Young Award, mm-hmm. right? If he wins a Cy Young Award, having Jake Area have already won the Cy Young Award, mm-hmm. what does that say about the Orioles? Uh, it says their player development is drastically different now than it was back then. I think that's the takeaway for it. Uh, their their player development back in the early 2010s was safe to say terrible. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, you, you had especially the, pitching development. They said the best pitching prospect since Roger Clemens and Dylan Bundy, and yeah. he's a middling starter yeah. now. And then Kevin Gossman was the number four overall pick, and I was he, a, uh, he was good for the Orioles. Yeah. He wasn't great. He's been great since. 
He was bad for the Braves. But he he didn't he go to Cincinnati for one year? No, uh, Sam, he, he was since he was in Cincinnati. He was in Cincinnati. Kevin Gosman. He yeah. was good in yeah. Cincinnati. He was great in San Francisco. He's yeah. great in Toronto. Uh, as soon as Jake, as soon as Jake Arrieta le- left Baltimore, mm-hmm. as soon as he stepped on a mound for the Cubs, he was phenomenal for five right. years. I was at a game yesterday. Just talk, I was I was there alone and, and talking to another guy, and I was saying Dylan Bundy is the greatest high school pitcher of all time. He's up. I mean, he might not be the greatest, but he's up there. I mean, the guy had like a .15 ERA or something crazy like that. And he would strike out like every guy. I mean, it was insane. He was throwing ninety nine. Nobody could touch him. Never became anything really. And yeah. Gosman, you know, Gosman, I, I I don't think was as big of a prospect. And I this was kind of I guess a little bit before I was paying attention to prospects. He was as the much Friday night now. starter at LSU, and he, he was SEC. yeah, and he I mean, he was a big player. But I think Dylan Bundy is arguably one of the greatest pitching prospects in the, in of all time. Um, and it's. Bundy hasn't really had a lot of success, to be fair, to, to the Orioles. But Arietta, Gosman, there's a number of guys who've gone other places. Even a guy like Zach Davies has gone somewhere else. And, Josh and, Hader. Uh, Josh Hader, sure, and, and has had a lot of success. So, yeah, it's it's definitely there's a long list of Orioles that have, have had success elsewhere, and, and hopefully that you're, you're, continues not to be the trend. You're praying that it's all good from here. With yeah. guys like Grayson Rodriguez. Well, unfortunately, it won't and, be. And, and, and D.L. Hall last night, man, it was a weird stat line. Right? Four and two-thirds innings pitch, three hits, three runs, one earned. Mm-hmm. Eight strikeouts. And I feel like his stat line is that every—I think he had no, three walks, No, it is. Too. It is. Every time you see him pitch, mm-hmm. it's four and two-thirds innings, about three hits, about three walks, and anywhere from seven to nine strikeouts. Right? Yeah, that seems to be the kind of— and, 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 any, and anywhere from one to three runs. You, he's— not dominating. He's striking out a lot of guys. He's not dominating down at down at AAA. He's not getting hit around, but he's got a 4.10 ERA. Yeah, right. Yeah. Don't you think he should be doing a little bit better than that? I, I think at his age and for his experience level, yeah, I do. Um, but you know, we we know the the present concerns with him as as far as staying in the starting rotation and the longevity that is there with a guy that throws hard and a guy that has plus stuff. And generally, if you look at the guys, and I've said this before, but generally, if you look at guy, at the guys across the league who have plus stuff, they're in the back end of bullpens, and the guys who have the best control and command are at the back end of rotations. And if you can combine them both, then you're at the front end of a rotation. But that's going to be the struggle, I guess, for D.L. Hall, is that if he can combine command and his excellent stuff. And I think he can. It's just putting it together consistently. And being that guy who doesn't walk people and you know simply keeps guys off the base paths. And I uh, think that's going to be the most important thing for him. I'll tell you, as much as I would love to see D.L. Hall here right now, if, they told me, if I got an alert on my phone that says D.L. Hall will make his next start for yeah. the Baltimore Orioles, I'd be thrilled. But I'm totally okay. With them keeping him in the minor leagues until he puts together five, six, seven dominant outings in a row. I want to see two, like seven innings. I want to see him actually. He's go. not going to get there at any point this year. He won't because they don't want him to. Right. But he, I, I, I would love to see it. Like you said, it's not going to happen. It's unlikely. But it's just the fact that he hasn't pitched a lot of those seven inning games in his career. I'm not sure he's pitched more than what two, three. Well, I, and probably I, in his whole minor league career. I, I, I'll tell you what, what's going to end up happening is if, if and when he does get called up this year, mm-hmm. and I think he will. Oh yeah, he at, will at, this at, year at some so. point. I think if and when he gets called up, he's going to piggyback. He's either yeah. going to start a game, and then you're going to have Keegan Aiken come in after him, or he's going to come in in the fifth inning after Tyler Wells start and pitch the fifth, sixth, yeah. seventh, and maybe eighth innings, depending on how he does. You know, and I think that's how that's how they're going to use him. I do firmly believe that the Orioles 
it's in their plans to have him be a part of their starting rotation from day one next year. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is just making sure that he's completely uh, going to stay healthy and that he has the ability to throw enough innings. Like, if you, you're not going to obviously get 200 out of him, but you, if you can get what 130, then I think you'd be happier this than, year or next year. No, I'm next year. Then I think you'd be happier. I don't think he's going to get there this year. I don't think that's possible. But um, if you can get that out of him, then that's certainly an upgrade over the the less than 100 uh, 100 inning seasons he's had. For the for the recent past, and I think that he he's a guy who will get called up this year. He'll be here, um, but like you said, it's going to be in smaller roles. I don't think he's going to pitch a ton, and it's going to be you know probably a lot of piggybacking coming out of the bullpen. And um, and, and frankly, the Orioles are going to have to find a time when they have a, a drastic need in the rotation, and they will get there at some point. They will have a drastic need, and he will be the guy who will will end up filling that hole. Well, and yeah, you you look at him this year through two months, he's got thirty four innings pitched. Yeah, right. So, what's he realistically going to get to? 90? Yeah, maybe, 90, 100. Maybe 100? Right. I think if he gets to 100, you can bump him up 50 innings next year. Okay. I yeah. think I think you can bump, especially, he's already surpassed his innings total from last year. And if he's going to do what we anticipate, if they're going to do with him what we anticipate they're going to do with him, he's probably going to approach 100 innings this year. Yeah. And that's, a, that's an upgrade of over 60 innings from last year. So, close to 70. So, you look at it. I can see them saying, okay, we want to put you in our starting rotation starting next year with no limitations, and or maybe you have five innings or 80 pitches, whichever you reach first, for the first month. And then they, and then they, they kind of take the gloves off, the kid gloves off after that. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll see. I do think that he has an opportunity to advance past, uh, past 130 innings next year, but he's got to get through the season healthy. He's got to show that he deserves a spot in that rotation next year, and then we'll see what happens after that. And let's talk about the Orioles' rotation, okay? Zimmerman last night, four and two-thirds innings, pitched ten hits, seven earned runs. People were calling him an ace when John Means went down, and he has been just awful for the last month. For the last month. He's just been absolutely awful. He had a two-start stretch where he gave up nine home runs. Yeah. What's going on with this dude? Yeah, the fastball doesn't play. I think that's the first thing. Guys sit on it because it just it's like 91 and he has a very very difficult time locating it. And he it just it doesn't move much. It's basically pretty flat at 91. That's like batting practice for these mm-hmm. guys. I mean, these are major league baseball players and even though the Royals are not, you know, a great team, they teed off it last night. I mean, they 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 sat on it, and then the changeup too. The changeup you saw in the beginning of the year a lot. Of, you know, a lot of arm side break down and away. It was it was looking good. It was getting located in the spots that he wanted it to be, and then now it's like hanging up in the zone. It's it's right over the middle of the plate, sitting to eighty five, and it's just looping in there. And look again, these are major league hitters. They're they're not going to miss an eighty five mile an hour. We call it a batting practice fastball right down the middle. That's what it is. And when, and when your changeup's not breaking. It's pretty flat. There's nothing much happening. It's basically floating in there. These guys are going to crush it. That's what's mm-hmm. happening, unfortunately. So the, the breaking stuff still looks pretty good to me. The curveball hasn't been bad, but it's just a fastball changeup, and that's the way that he pitches is fastball changeup, and that's kind of his thing. And when they're, when they're both off and when he's not throwing them with any kind of success, these guys are just going to tee off it, and that's yeah. kind of what's happening right now. It's just, it's just home run ball when he's on the mound. And then you look at Jordan Lyles, 2-2, two and two, 365 ERA in, in six May starts. Owen won with a nine ERA in two June starts. Even his last start in May wasn't great. Yeah, gave up four runs in five innings or something like, or four and two third, four and a third innings. Um, we kind of expected this. He's going to get back to a nice stretch where he pitches really well for two two to four yeah. outings, um, and then he'll have another stretch where he has two ba- two bad starts in a row. It's kind of what he does. It's, right. it, it, it's what he does. Uh, 
between him, Zimmerman's failings, Bradish, rookie still trying to find his way. Yeah. Two quality starts in his first three outings, none since. Two earned runs each of his last two starts, but he's failed to get out of the fifth in either of those starts with yeah. a pitch counts of 80 and 105. Uh, Dean Kramer, look, he had strike three with two outs in the first inning of the mm-hmm. start the other day. And the uh, pitch was called a ball for a walk. The next guy hits a three-run homer. Gave up nothing in three and third innings after that. Uh, he had great control in his rehab stint. He didn't walk anybody after that two-out walk in the first inning. No. Um, is the key for him just to throw strikes? I think it is, but I, I think Dean Kramer can run himself into submissions with that too because there, there's been a lack of quality strikes from him over the years that we've seen. Um, his cutter especially, when he started throwing that more and more in the uh, 2021 season, the cutter would just kind of float over the middle of the plate and run right into the barrel. Like It would start inside to righties and then come back and it'd be right in, the, right in the middle of the zone, right in the middle of the barrel. And that's where guys would kind of just destroy it. And you know, you saw the left field ball give up plenty of home runs to righties off Dean Kramer because the cutter would just basically hang in there. It would come almost back to the barrel and he wasn't throwing it enough outside. He used to you know, get more across the zone instead of in right in the middle of it um and, and the 12-6 is something it was it was very very good in 2020 when we saw it the 12-6 was his best pitch probably hanging it a ton in 2021 I mean it was just sitting up there guys were just teeing off it again and the fastball it's a pretty average fastball there's nothing you're really excellent about it he, he, he can touch 95 he generally yeah. says 92 and 94 and, and there's a little arm side run on it it's not a it's not an awful fastball it's just not I wouldn't say it's it, it's drastically above average but you look at his pitches it's just about throwing quality strikes for him because I don't think just simply throwing strikes with his cutter and his, and his curveball is going to be enough he needs to be able to locate them and I think that's you know it Throwing strikes is definitely a part of it. He definitely walks way too many guys for my liking, and and you know obviously those are. But th- this year he hasn't. This year he hasn't so far. Right after after one start and then what he did in the minors. So we'll see we'll see what he he ends up uh, doing over the next few starts, and if he can throw quality strikes, then he'll be all right. His stuff isn't incredible. It's it's you know maybe slightly above average, if if not average. So he's just got to make sure he can you know put it where he wants it to. Now Tyler Wells, probably the most consistent of all the Orioles starters, believe it or not. Two and four, three seven eight ERA, a point nine B WAR, which leads all Orioles starters. Eight of eleven. Well, that's depressing. Uh, eight <laughs> of eleven. I mean, we're only two months into the season. True. You know what I mean? That's that's a three win player. I was even looking up Michael Lorenzen, um, who I was just talking about, who's starting today. He's like one point one more already for the Angels, and he hasn't been that great. I mean, he's a three seventy ERA, which is fine, but it's just. Well, I mean, you'd, you'd Wells also isn't getting deep in the games. It's but fair. Eight of his 11 starts, two earned runs or less. Fair. Uh, 1.7 walks per nine, which is really good. Just five and a half Ks per nine, which probably affects his yeah. war as well. Um, and, and this is after averaging more than 10 strikeouts per nine last year. There's going to be some of that when you move from the sure. bullpen to the rotation because you can really unleash when right. you're in the bullpen because you only have an inning, maybe two. In the rotation, you got you got to save your arm. Right. right? But, uh, I mean, this is a guy... It's crazy to think that after the after the first start that we saw, that this has been their most consistent consistent starting rotation piece. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess when John Means goes down, that's kind of one of the things that ends up happening as far as a uh, like a butterfly effect goes. Um, and you look at Dean Kramer, we don't know how he's going to be. That's not what butterfly effect means, but continue. Well, it, I, I'm saying that it it once one thing happens, then other things like spiral and happen after that. It's kind of maybe that's not the right Pandora's term for it. box. Is, is sure, what, we'll what call I, it that. That's yeah. it. <laughs> I, I, when John Means goes down, your most reliable starter and a guy that you expected to be the ace of the rotation, other other guys have to step up. And I think that's what we're seeing from Tyler Wells. And Bruce Zimmerman, we, we, we know the struggles. We know that he's been in a bad stretch as of late. 
hopefully he gets back on track. But Tyler Wells is a guy who he's not pitching incredibly well, but he's pitching just well enough to be, I guess, the best pitcher in this rotation right now. Kyle Bradish, he's a rookie. We don't really know what we can expect from him. And there's some things that he's had some serious issues with this season as well. So it, it's not control being control being them. right. And we never expected Jordan Lyles to be a top of the rotation piece either. So I guess it doesn't shock me that Tyler Wells is the best pitcher in this rotation right now. But maybe maybe you expected Jordan Lyles to be. I don't know. But it's. It, uh, it, yeah, it's yeah, certainly yeah, not a shock. You, you lose John Means, Bruce Zimmerman, the way he started and the way he's pitching now. It's a, oh, it's, uh, it's it's night, night and day. Not um, ah, jinx. Yeah, there you go. Um, <laughs> Kyle Bradish, you think that he has the stuff to be a quality big league starter, but he has to figure it out first. Uh, you look at the bullpen: five regulars with a B WAR of one or higher. Yeah. Uh, fifth best bullpen in the American League, sixth in Major League Baseball. But the question becomes: if the starting rotation continues on this trend. Yeah. What happens to the bullpen? Yeah, that's the that's going to be the problem. Um, overuse is going to be the the key term here because even guys like Cino Perez. I mean, I, I've noticed even more so lately that he's been used a lot more coming into games and situations that Brandon Hyde probably doesn't want him in games at. So it's it's concerning. Um, I talked about before. D.L. Hall is going to become a necessity eventually because you're going to need arms, and you're simply going if he stays healthy, he'll be here at some point because mm-hmm. you you just need arms like guys like Logan Gillespie and all these guys that have come Adam up. Adam Voth. Right, oh, he's I, I, Voth is horrible. I, I remember I, watching him pitch for the Nationals and being like, "How does this guy keep getting starts?" He is terrible. I hope I hope he doesn't last too long on the Orioles because he uh, he he's had some struggles with the Nationals, but maybe he turns it around. Who knows? Chris Holt can help him out. We'll see. But point is here is that they're going to need more arms. Waiver claims will probably be a thing, and a lot of guys promoted for the minors. All right, we got to catch a uh, a break here before we get Bob Feeling from the On the Verge podcast. Just want to remind you, today's show is brought to you by the uh, the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino in Hotel Maryland, which is the best place to be for the playoffs and all of the big upcoming events. Bet on every sport with sixty one self service kiosks open twenty four seven, and watch all the action from the best seat in the house. Tonight, Glover Teixeira defends his belt against Yuri Prohaska in the main event of UFC 275. Catch all of the action in the FanDuel Sportsbook while you cash in on all the many prop bets available. Reserve your spot for tonight's fights by emailing events at sportssocialmd.com. Are you ready, soccer fans? This summer, the English Premier League returns to Baltimore. Arsenal, Everton, square off in the Charm City match. July 16th, under the lights at M&T Bank Stadium, home of the Baltimore Ravens. This is your only opportunity to take in a Premier League match this summer in the Mid-Atlantic region. Individual and group tickets are on sale at BaltimoreRavens.com. Baseball is back, and so is the spring seasonal menu at Glory Days Grill. Start with the opener, flash fried pork belly with our popular Korean number two sauce, and take a bite out of the crunch burger topped with home run sauce, white American cheese, and house made chips. It also features irresistible options like a baseball cut sirloin with blue cheese, grilled shrimp with garlic butter, and a strawberry salmon salad. And then there's the closer, the Cracker Jack Sunday with a waffle, ice cream, and Cracker Jack. This menu will be going, going, gone at your neighborhood Glory Days Grill. GloryDaysGrill.com to find out more. Great food, good sports. That first sip. That first bite. 
Start your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms. Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world. At Royal Farms, breakfast is available day and night. It's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Luke Jackson profiles Orioles catcher Adley Rutschman, diving into where his passion for baseball and for catching comes from and how he uses that passion to elevate those around him in the Orioles organization. Also inside, Bo Smolka takes a look at how the Ravens' 2021 draft picks can make progress in year two, and Glenn Clark offers a very unique tribute to former rival Mike Krzyzewski that all Maryland fans can appreciate. Press Box is available for free at over 500 areas locations including 60 royal farm stores and you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the orioles ravens and terps at pressboxonline.com stand the fan here welcoming back one of my favorite sponsors the costas inn and everybody around baltimore knows the costas inn is a great place to go and grab crabs steaks salads soups whatever is on your mind to eat in person but did you know that the costas inn has upped their game they are now one of the premier takeout places in baltimore give them a call now to order your food 410-477-1975 that's the costas inn over 4100 north point Boulevard. Hey, Birdland families, this Father's Day, join the O's in celebrating Dad at the Yard as they take on the Tampa Bay Rays Sunday, June 19th at 1.35. Go above and beyond by treating Dad to a fun-filled day with the entire family. Make sure to get to the ballpark early because the first 10,000 fans ages 15 and over will receive an Orioles golf visor. Dad's Day done right this year with the O's. Don't wait until the last minute when planning Father's Day. Secure your tickets now at Orioles.com slash tickets. All right, welcome back to the Bat Around here on a Saturday morning in Baltimore. I want to remind you today's show is brought to you by the best daily discussion, the place to find the best daily discussion, the place to find the best daily discussion of Baltimore sports. You can watch the show every weekday from 10 to noon at youtube.com slash pressboxonline or facebook.com slash pressboxsports or listen to pressboxonline.com slash radio with podcasts available on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcast. You never know who might pop up on GCR. This week, the guys caught up with Ravens tight end Isaiah Likely, legendary baseball voice Peter Gammons, and Royals pitcher uh, and former Terp Jose Quas. Find those interviews and more in the in the Glenn Clark Radio Week in Review feature right now at PressBoxOnline.com. It's been a really great show. Stan had a great segment today. Um, Stan had a great segment today. Justin Fenton was fantastic, clarifying the the uh, lawsuit article between uh, that um, is being brought forth by Louis Angeles against his brother and his mother. Uh, now we're waiting to get Bob Phelan from the On the Verge podcast uh, on the show to talk some Orioles prospects and. Namely, Gunnar Henderson, Jordan Westberg, who have been absolutely tearing the cover off the ball down there uh, for the Norfolk Tides, pushing their way towards their inevitable Major League debut, whether it happens later this year or happens next year. I'm more inclined to think it happens next year unless these guys both hit 400 at AAA. But with that in mind, we do have, from the On the Verge podcast, Bob Field joining the show today. Bob, good morning. Thank you for taking some time for us. How are you today? 
great to be here as always. Uh, thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's it's our pleasure. I just got started talking about Gunnar Henderson and Jordan Westbrook, both promoted to Norfolk for this week. Gunnar, home run in his first at bat, two hits and a walk the first game. Westbrook, two hits the first game, three hits the second game, including a home run. Uh, he had another hit last night. Gunner's back down to 250, but we're talking about three games. Uh, Westberg still hitting 500 through those first three games. Talk to us about these players and how special they are. Yeah, uh, you can't ask for a better start than what they got off to here, uh, making their AAA debuts. Gunner Henderson, he's batting 250, but hit that home run. He's also got four walks already and only two strikeouts, I believe. So continuing to see that that walk to strikeout rate continue where it was at AA, which I'll start with him at 20 years old. It's just incredible what he's been able to do this year. You know, we we thought he was great last year when he had a strikeout rate near 30% and a decent walk rate, but he's gone ahead and, like, dropped that strikeout rate in half and doubled his walk rate from last year, continuing to have power. At 20 years old, he's nine months younger than anybody else in AAA. Wow. <laughs> and then, like, doesn't matter which league you look at. So, yeah, he's looking like he could possibly be, like, another top 10 prospect in all of baseball for the Orioles right now, the way they've developed him. And then Jordan Westberg, you're just seeing what – Kind of expected he did have a pretty uh, good slump there for two weeks to start the season, but he's heated up and been the guy we thought he would be. Polished college hitter out of the SEC. Hits the ball hard, can hit the ball for power, takes walks, can play a great defense at uh, second, third, or short. And actually with Gunnar Henderson, as much as he's improved at the plate, defensively he looks just as much improved out there at shortstop and third base. Looks like he could be a plus glove on the left side of the infield as well. And, and with Gunner, and you mentioned his age now, he's nine months younger than any other player in AAA. You know, you look at these Orioles prospects, and Ryan Mountcastle debuted at 23, and that was on the young side when you look at the rest of the prospects. Rutschman, 24 already. Heston Kerstad probably won't be, won't be here till he's 25 years old. Uh, and then you look around the rest of the league, and you see guys 19, 20, 21 years old, making all-star teams for, um, for, for their respective teams. Is Gunner putting himself into that echelon where we could see him maybe even in Baltimore at the end of this year if he does what, what he's been doing? I mean, it'd be hard to keep him off of the major league roster by the last month or so of the season if he continues to do what he's doing. And I'm sure he'll he'll have some growing pains, but I thought he'd have some growing pains at double A to start the year and wouldn't make mm-hmm. it to triple A till maybe the last couple months of the year. So, you know, performance dictates all. And if he just continues to mash the ball and he's not being, you know, exposed or or if he's not learning and he needs to learn at the next level, which would be the major leagues, then I, I don't see how they could keep him down. Now... We know that Michael Elias plays close, things close to the vest, one. And that, two, he does what he's going to do no matter what everybody else calls for. And that's been evident since day one here. Are we looking at the potential, and how likely do you think it is, that Gunnar Henderson and Jordan Westbrook make up half the Orioles infield on opening day next season? I think it's a pretty good chance of that. Um, I think, if anything, you know, Gunnar's looking so good that he might be a guy that you try to – Keep them just like they did. Well, who knows what they would have done with Adley if he didn't get hurt. But maybe that's a scenario where you keep him down a little bit to try to gain that extra year. But I think it's a very good chance that they are both on the opening day lineup to start 2023 for sure. Now, we talked with Keith Law on Glenn Clark Radio a couple of months ago. He said he could envision Joey Ortiz being the Orioles starting shortstop the second half of this season. Yet Gunner and Westberg both made it AAA before him. He's slashing 217, 294, 394, the 643 OPS entering Friday. 
what are your thoughts on his season, and does he even have a future in Baltimore? I think he still has a future. He's coming off that shoulder injury. Um, you know, I'm sure it's taking some time to get back from that. He plays incredible defense at shortstop. Just might be a couple of years to try to get that back, back to where it was looking like, uh, you know, last year before he got hurt. And worst case, I think he could be a trade chip or potentially just a, a really good glove to have on the bench for defensive replacement. I'm not giving up on him yet after just two months or so. No, that's 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 fair. That's fair. Now another guy, uh, 22 year old, uh, uh, signing out of out of Cuba, Cesar Prieto. He started out at Aberdeen. All he did was hit. He's moved up to Bowie, and with the exception of the last couple of games, really all he's done is hit. Um, do you think that we see him in AAA at some point this year, and where do you profile him as uh, as a big leaguer moving forward? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. We knew he could hit based off his, his numbers in Cuba. It didn't look like he had much power, but clearly since he you know, came over to America, he was balking up big time, and he clearly added some power to that frame there. Mm-hmm. It was too good for high A. I could see maybe if Jordan Westberg and or Gunnar Henderson get a look-see at the end of the year. I mean, the AAA season goes like three or four weeks longer than the rest of minor league baseball, so maybe he could get up to AAA, you know, during that period of time. But I would expect him to stay in AA, you know, for the next two or three months at least. And is this a guy who profiles – they've been playing him at shortstop and at second base, but he profiles more as a second baseman, correct? Yeah, he's, he's not going to be a shortstop at the major league level. Um, I don't think he has the arm for it, but he could be a solid second baseman for sure. A bat first, second baseman, you know, batting out of the left side, which in Camden Yards now is a good thing to have a lefty hitter for sure. Yeah, uh, we're going to keep with the the bats here before we talk about the pitching. I want to talk about uh, Colton Kowser. Uh Three for three with two doubles on Thursday. He was batting two fifty one entering Friday. Did not play uh, last night. Slow start to his first full pro season uh, but it seems like the bat might be starting to come around. What are your thoughts on Colton Kalser? Uh Have you seen signs from him that he is a player that was worthy of being drafted fifth overall? Yeah, yeah I think you see flashes of that. There's, it's slow start, disappointing start, no matter how you slice it. I'm sure he would say the same thing. But mm-hmm. he came out of the gate so hot. I feel like he kind of set the expectations. I feel like he kind of set the expectations a little bit higher than he would have been if he would have just had like a, an average start to his career. But he's shown signs of getting out of out of the strikeout hole that he was digging himself in to start the year. I think he's only struck out like 12% of the time over his last X amount of games. I think it's like three weeks or so. Uh, John Muley had a great piece uh, in his newsletter about how he's he's just adjusting to the grind of the professional lifestyle of getting enough sleep and you know playing every single day. So I, I think coming from a, a small school like Sam Houston State, it might just be more of an adjustment, but it looks like he's waking up and starting to be the guy that we, we thought he could be. Uh, yeah, and I think that it's, that it's important that you, you you said he got off to such a hot start last year that it was hard not to have these these high expectations for him, and everybody struggles uh, at some point in their career. So hopefully that he is showing signs of busting out and he can finish the season strong. Kobe Mayo, ridiculous power. Some people were saying that he could be the number one prospect in – uh, number one offensive prospect in all of baseball this time next year, but he's batting just two thirty-seven. He's a young kid. He's what nineteen, twenty years old. Can the can the hit tool improve enough for him to be an impact player at the next level? Oh, for sure. I mean, a guy his age, he's around the same age of all these guys that are struggling in Delmarva. 
that, uh, you know, that we've been on the podcast preaching patience with because they're so young. They need time to develop first full professional season and full season ball. And the same is true of Kobe Mayo. He's just doing it at a level higher, and he's got 10 home runs. His walk rate has been getting uh, higher over the last few weeks. I think he's just adjusting. He's a very young kid, plays good defense, great arm, huge power. You know, maybe he's not getting off to the kind of start would make you say, okay, this is a top 50 prospect in baseball at this point, but there's no doubt in my mind that he's got the skills to get there. This time next year, you could be looking at him similar to how we're looking at Gunnar Henderson right now. Yeah, I think that would be a huge thing for the Orioles if that is the case. Now let's move over to the pitching side of things. And look, man, the Orioles took a huge blow uh, last week when we found out that Grayson Rodriguez had a lat strain. And we find out on Sunday it's a grade two lat strain, which means he might be back in September. But let's be honest, Bob, he's he's not going to pitch again this year. Uh, Even if he does come back this year, we're not going to see him in Baltimore. We know he should, but will he break camp next year in the Orioles opening day rotation? Yeah, first of all, I, I agree with that. He's he's definitely not pitching in the majors this year. I thought there might have been a chance that he came back if it was grade one, but once it was grade two, I think the best hope is he can come back, get some innings at AAA in September, maybe go to the Arizona Fall League just to try to build his pitch count, innings mm-hmm. count up for 2023. But I do think he'll, he'll break camp with the team in 2023. I think Mike Elias was just – I mean, maybe he should have pulled the trigger a start or two earlier, but I really think that was his last minor league start. And Mike Elias was bummed that it happened. So I think let's get him out to start 2023 because no more wasting bullets with this guy. He's got electric stuff. Oh, see what he can do at the major league level. Now, and look, I, I, you're not a doctor, right? But um, people have said, oh, Elias should have brought him up before then. Um, this wouldn't happen. This happened. I feel like with, with, with stuff like this, if it happened, it was going to happen, correct? Or, or is this one of those things where maybe if he had been on a, on a with major league coaches and on a major league staff, maybe they could have prepped him a little bit better or had him uh, d- doing different things with his mechanics to the point where that wouldn't have happened. What are your thoughts on that? I just, you know, butter, butterfly effect. Who knows what would have happened if he would have been up? But to me, it's like uh, fans will criticize him if, you know, they're not letting him – stretch out, not let him go six, seven innings, not let him get close to 100 pitches, and then, oh, maybe he should have been pulled an inning earlier. It wouldn't happen. I mean, this stuff, it happens. It happens. It's not his arm, so that's the important thing. He will be fine long-term. It is a bummer, but I, I just don't think you can blame the organization for what happened. Yeah, no, I, I don't think that you can either. I think that this is just one of those things. It was a hot day. He's, he's trying to prove that he belongs at the big league level because, frankly, he could have been up well before then. Uh, and so maybe it's a, it's a case where he's overthrowing and he hurts himself. And, and what can you do about that? Um, DL Hall, he had this, he had a similar issue, but it was with the elbow strain last year. Where I I will maintain that this was a guy who was just trying to prove that he can strike out the world, and he was probably overthrowing, and that's how he hurt the elbow. It's been a mixed bag at AAA for him. Like for example, last night he goes four and two thirds innings, three hits, three walks, three runs, one earned, and eight strikeouts. And that seems to be a typical line for D.L. Hall these days. Strikes out a ton of batters, uh, but he hasn't had one of those dominant with a capital D outings for Norfolk. Do you expect him to get an extended look at Norfolk and to the point where he has five, six, seven dominant starts in a row before the Orioles really consider bringing him up? Yeah, I think his his numbers are a little bit worse than how he's pitched if you just watch the games. like The stuff is great. When he misses, it's competitive misses. We had Justin Ramsey on the show, and he talked about that. You know, his... He might still be walking batters, but they're more competitive at bats. The misses are close. 
and that's what he wants to see. So, yeah, I mean, I think he got up to, what, 77 pitches last night. Mm-hmm. I could see another month in, in AAA before they, they bring him up. The only question I have is how many innings are they going to let him go? That's kind of like been in the back of my mind, but the stuff is great. Maybe he's just getting used to the new the AAA ball, which is the major league ball, different than AA uh, and lower, So, which is a weird thing. But, yeah, I think he's just getting adjusted, getting back to pitching. And like you said, he was trying to strike everybody out last year, and he pretty much did. But this year it looks like he's sitting 98 easy and not overthrowing whatsoever. It's, it's coming out pretty easy. Bob, a guy that we talked about a lot on the show preseason uh, was Zach Peake, a guy that we thought along with John Pinto would really take a step forward this year and assert himself as one of the best pitchers in the Orioles organization. Now, I haven't heard a ton about Zach Peake, and maybe I haven't been paying good enough attention, but what has Zach Peake done this year, and has he taken a step forward from last year, or has he taken a step back? I think he's pretty much maintained the status quo from last year. He had a bit of a step back where he hit the injured list for two or three weeks, um, like a month ago, and, and that kind of put a little hiccup in his season. But he looked great his last time out. He's got an ERA in, like, the mid-upper threes. Not striking out as many batters as he did last year, but he looks good to me. I mean, he's the first time in double-A. He's, he's a fiery competitor on the mound. Um, I'd probably keep the, his prospect status, uh, status quo. Now, Jean Pinto, who Zach just mentioned, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, two earned runs or less in eight of his 11 outings, but an ERA of 525 because he had four. He gave up four earned runs in two innings in his first outing of the season and then six earned runs on main, in a May 9th outing. Uh, what level prospect would you rate him as? Is this somebody who can kind of make some waves here with this organization? Yeah, I still have him as a top 20 prospect in the system. If you look at his fan graphs page, you can see that his batting average for balls in play is like almost 400. He's a ground ball pitcher, so that that can happen. But he's striking guys out. Um, he's still just 21 years old in high A. So similar to Kobe Mayo, he's definitely young for the level. Um, I think his ex-fip is in the threes. His fifth is in the threes. So it's been a little bit unlucky, but I think we'll continue to see him improve throughout the year and maybe uh, end the year in double A potentially. It just really goes to show how impressive what Gunnar Henderson is doing. The fact that yeah. he's not even 21, he's in AAA, and you just said that Jean Pinto at 21 years old is young for, for high A. Uh, it's just absolutely bananas. And then the final, final pitch I want to ask you about before we play a little game with you before you go is Carter Ballmer. Three pro appearances, nine innings pitched, no earned runs, four hits, four walks, 15 strikeouts. Not a bad start to his career following Tommy John's surgery. Have you gotten eyes on this kid? And if so, what have you seen? He did refer to himself as a more athletic Zach Granke. Yeah, I mean, that that kind of checks out. I haven't seen him in person, but I've watched him on minor league TV whenever he's – I think he's only starting Wednesdays, doing like three innings each start, which mm-hmm. is fine coming back from the injury. But, yeah, he looks he looks way too good for low A. I would not be surprised if he's doing Wednesday starts in Aberdeen pretty soon. Oh, that's, that's that's awesome here. It was it was a real bummer when we found out that in the instructs he he had to go get Tommy John surgery. So the fact that he's bounced back and the Orioles gave him overslot money to get him to decommit from college to come pitch for them out of high school to the, have the success he's having to start his career. It's really really great to see. So I look forward to hearing from you in the future about how he's looking down there for sure. Now before we let you go, Bob, we do play. A game here on uh, on the battle round called Take the Rake. Have have you played this game with us before? 
Okay, okay. Well, here's here's how we play it. Zach and I each take a player that we think is going to have the best offensive week um, uh, for, the, for the Orioles. And then by the, the by next week's show, we figure out who won. When we have a guest on in the, 11, in the 11.40 time slot, we have the guest play with us. The only rule is that you can't take a player who you took, who was taken before. So if we had a guest on last week who had taken, say, Ryan Mountcastle, you wouldn't be allowed to take Ryan Mountcastle. Just like I took Cedric Mullins uh, two weeks ago in our last show, I can't take him this week. Uh, and Zach can't take Austin Hayes. That's really the only rule for the game. Okay. Okay. I can tell by the S-eating grin on Zach's face that I did not win, right? I mean, I think it's up for debate. I wasn't smiling about that. Something different. But Mullins was 9 for 45, which is 200 batting average. But he did have six doubles, five Mm -hmm. RBIs, and a home run. Austin Hayes was 13 for 47. That's 276. Two home runs, nine RBIs, but only two doubles. It's not that far apart. I think Hayes probably got the win here. Hayes wins. Okay. Uh, so it, it's take to rake. I'm and smiling two, about and, something completely different. And by the way. 200 is not raking. 275, no, the home runs, yeah. the RBIs. That's a nice two week stretch. I, 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 I'm, you won. I'm not, oh, giving, I'm, I'm not even giving it to you. You won. Now, Bob, since you have been on this show before, it's not your first time on this show, we're going to let Zach pick first because he did win. You're going to pick second. I'm going to pick third. Sounds good to me. Oh, um, you know, I'm going to take Trey Mancini. He's been playing well lately. Tearing the cover off the yeah, ball for I, six weeks. Yeah, I feel like the power is starting to show back up for him a little bit. I'm going to go Trey. All right, Bob, you're up. Give me the struggling rookie, Adley Rush. Not in a big way over this next week. He's due. He's hitting the ball hard. Did we lose you? Oh. Can you hear me? Yeah, we, we, we lost after he's hitting the ball hard. Yeah, he's, he's hitting the ball hard um, right into the shift. He's not striking out a ton. Some people are freaking out. I'm not one of them. I think he's going he's gonna to rebound big time over the next week. So give me, give me the, the kid behind the plate. Yeah, he's definitely put together some great at-bats. And, um, you know, I, I think that that's a solid pick there. I'm going back to the well here. I'm taking Austin Hayes. I think he's the best player on the team right now, and he's come up in some big situations the last couple of games and not come through, and I think that that really irks him more than anything. I'm taking Austin Hayes to have a big week for the Orioles this week. So that's Zach taking Trey Mancini, Bob Phelan from the On the Verge podcast, taking Adley Rutschman, and your host, Paul Valley, taking uh, Austin Hayes for this coming week. Bob, what can we plug for you before we let you go? Yeah, just give us a follow on Twitter at BSL on the Verge or search BSL on the Verge in any of your podcast apps that you get them from and uh, give it a show a listen. We have pretty good guests on to uh, help cover up whenever we have a weakness or two, so it makes us look smarter. I think we do a good job of just covering the minor league organization as a whole, so if that's that's up your alley. Give us a follow. Right. Absolutely, and we, we really appreciate your service. Everybody loves the uh, the Twitter handle and the podcast and all the great stuff that you put out for us every day and every week. So thank you, Bob. Thank you for joining us on the show, and we'll talk to you down the line, all right? All right. Thanks a lot. Take care. And that was Bob Phelan from the On the Verge podcast joining us to talk a little bit of the Orioles minor league system, which has been, despite not great records, the the individual performances have been pretty outstanding. So another thing that is outstanding is the Press Box Print 
issue, and these are the final days to get this print issue of Press Box on the cover. Luke, ja Luke Jackson profiles Orioles catcher Adley Rutschman, diving into where his passion for catching and baseball came from, and how he uses that passion to elevate those around him in the Orioles organization. Also inside, Bo Smolka takes a look at how the Ravens' 2021 draft picks can make progress this season, and Glenn Clark offers a very unique tribute to former rival Mike Krzyzewski that all Maryland fans can appreciate. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. And coming this Wednesday, our very first Coach's Issue of Press Box featuring John Harbaugh on the cover. You won't want to miss that. we got to catch our final break. When we come back, final thoughts on the battle round. Sports fans, the wait is over. The all-new FanDuel Sportsbook is now open at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover, Maryland. This is your chance to win big right in your own backyard. Bet on every sport with self-service kiosks and watch all of the action from the best seat in the house. Make every moment more at the all-new FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover. Please play responsibly. Gambling problem? Please call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit mdgambling.com. Help.org. That first sip. That first bite. Mm. Start your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms. Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world. At Royal Farms, breakfast is available day and night. It's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. You ready, soccer fans? This summer, the English Premier League returns to Baltimore. Arsenal, Everton, square off in the Charm City match, July 16th, under the lights at M&T Bank Stadium, home of the Baltimore Ravens. This is your only opportunity to take in a Premier League match this summer in the Mid-Atlantic region. Individual and group tickets are on sale at BaltimoreRavens.com. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Luke Jackson profiles Orioles catcher Adley Rutschman, diving into where his passion for baseball and for catching comes from and how he uses that passion to elevate those around him in the Orioles organization. Also inside, Bo Smolka takes a look at how the Ravens' 2021 draft picks can make progress in year two, and Glenn Clark offers a very unique tribute to former rival Mike Krzyzewski that all Maryland fans can appreciate. Press Box is available for free at over 500 areas locations including 60 Royal Farm stores and you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles Ravens and Terps at pressboxonline.com Sports betting has come to Maryland, and we're ready to help you win some money. Tune in for Simply the Bets every Tuesday morning at 1140. FanDuel Sportsbook Assistant GM Leon Twyman and VEASAN's Aaron Oster join the guys every week to give you all of the info you need and offer you a few winners. And every other Thursday at 1140, tune in for Weekend at Bookies as Andrew Stecka and Alloy Sports Brad Cronthal help make you some money for the weekend. So come win some money with us on Simply the Bets every Tuesday and Weekend at Bookies every other Thursday. Thursday, brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel Maryland. Listen at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. Watch at YouTube.com slash PressBoxOnline. The Toyota Tacoma comes in a wide range of models and trim lines. You can choose the perfect Toyota to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out BuyAToyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. 
Let it play. I will. I'll let it play. Not Paul, by the way, are you going to the the Paul McCartney concert tomorrow? I am not. Okay, I will be there. I'm excited for it. I know you are. I'm. Uh, I'm a McCartney I guy. I, I like Paul McCartney. I just not enough to spend the kind of money I would need to spend to go to this concert. Fair enough. Fair enough. I, I know Glenn. <clears throat> Glenn said on Glenn Clark Radio the other day uh, when I was on there that he had like he, he spent a lot of money on it and he was excited. So I, I think that's a, the, the, I think a lot of people have spent a lot of money on yeah, the show. He, so it's, um, it's a pretty big one. I think he mortgages children's uh, college fund. <laughs> to, uh, that's, that's what he. To, I think that's the joke he made. Yeah. He, anyway. said, he said, "Thank God my kids weren't going to college anyway." <laughs> yeah, he, uh, he. I, I think a lot of people are in the same boat. Those those tickets were very expensive, and you got I, cheap I, ones. I, I, mean, I, I 70, got seventy bucks a pop. Is I'm what like you're going way for, right? up top, yeah. though. Like I'm like all the way up. And if you wanted to be like a little, a little closer, which I, I mean, I could have gone closer. I feel like I'm usually the person who spends kind of like the least amount of money on tickets. Like mm-hmm. if I can be just there, I'm happy enough to be there instead of being like you know five rows from the stage or whatever. But I don't know. I mean, that's... So, I have my Sunday Orioles ticket plan. And I only have one ticket for each game. So, mm-hmm. I'm allowed to exchange m- tickets to get two tickets for a Other game and stuff come, like sure. that. Um, so, what I did was, and I talked to my wife, I talked to Mrs. Valley before <laughs> I did this. I said, hey, the Angels are coming to town July 10th. It's a Sunday. Mm-hmm. Are you going to be able to go? She goes, yeah, I can do that. Because she loves Shohei Otani. Yeah. One, the game starts at 12.05, and I play baseball in the mornings. That right. would be a, right. that, it'd be a stretch to get there on Tough. time. Two, she actually does have to work that day. So I exchanged those two tickets mm-hmm. for a um, this past Wednesday at the ballpark against okay. the Cubs. It's beautiful all day. A little humid, a little muggy. Yeah. We get down to the ballpark. And they didn't even take the, pl- the field for warm-ups. Yeah. The thunderstorms came through. We drove down to the ballpark to pay $15 to park, to go inside and spend 25 bucks on two beers, another 25 bucks on two hot dogs with some french fries. Your boy spent $60, <laughs> almost $70, Ugh. for a glorified hot dog and a beer. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I, on Wednesday night, I was in the mountains of West Virginia, and I was driving w- on very unlit highways all through was the Was Ryan Mount Castle there? <laughs> Funny. Um, <laughs> and, I mean, the, these highways are, like, not lit at all. Like, I'm talking about 68. I mean, you know the area out there in West Virginia. And um, <clears throat> these thunderstorms rolled through it. Oh, my God. I mean, it was, like, some of the worst. So I can only imagine what was happening it, down it, here. It, it, it rained for, like, seven hours. Mm-hmm. That game had no chance of getting off the ground. and it, And then... I had to walk. I, I I led I led my beautiful, wonderful wife to the part under the under the the warehouse where you can stand underneath the yeah, warehouse. Yeah. I led her to that area, and I walked back to the car in a torrential downpour, and then drove home, soaking wet. <laughs> and left her left her there under the overhang. And, uh, <laughs> and the I, I left her. I had to go back down to no no. I I, I picked her up. She, her walking just from under that 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 the, under the warehouse mm. to my car, which was twenty. Probably fifty feet from there. Sure, she was drenched. Yeah, she was drenched. Um, so not a great experience. We had a great time. It was our date night. We don't have too many of those these days because we got the puppy and we're trying to save for a house and whatnot. But we we decided to have a date night and mm-hmm. I enjoyed her company. We enjoyed each other. But it was um basically a a, a thirty minute drive for uh, the most expensive hot dog and beer in the world. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, it was. Yeah, you know. Anyway, it's okay. Say la vie. It happens. You got a final thought for me today. Yeah, I, I want to talk about Adley Rutschman and Brandon Hyde. This is almost like a, a sub-sounding-off segment, I guess, mm-hmm. for me. Brandon Hyde the other day 
left Adley Rutschman out of the lineup and said that it was a regularly scheduled day off. And I get that. I just want to make sure that Brandon Hyde is not keeping Adley Rutschman out of the lineup too much because of his struggles. I think that's the opposite of what they need to do. I think Mm -hmm. you've got to play the guy. And that the only way you get out of these slumps is to be in the lineup every day. Like you saw him hit the double last night. So don't take him out today. You've got to make sure he plays today. I think he's playing today. And build on that success. He probably will. I'm just saying that I want to Well, it is a 4 o'clock game. Maybe he... I don't know. I get that they're regularly regularly scheduled off days. I get that, but let's DH him, right? Like he he's not catching. It takes a lot of wear and tear off him just to have him DH. He only has to come out of the you know the dugout four times for the entire game, and you know and actually hit. And it, it, it's probably not that much wear and tear on a guy just to DH him. And I think that's what they need to do and not take him out of the lineup when he's struggling. I don't think that's ever a way to get a guy back. Now, of course, you're going to have your off days. I mean, everyone does. But then again, Cedric Mullins basically plays like every day. He's mm-hmm. barely ever out of the lineup. So I'm not saying that you're never going to have an off day. But just keep him in the lineup to keep to, to, to work on getting Especially that back going. Especially after hitting the double yesterday. Now, right. I, like, I, I happened to miss the double because okay. I did too. I did it too. was 8 nothing and the... I was watching something else. Yeah, well, <laughs> to I, be fair, I, I, w- the wife and I were watching something else. Yeah, um, and I was preparing for the show, so I missed the double. But uh, apparently, he laced it. If he got that double, he had a hit the other day. See if the back end start to get going. Right. I, I agree with you. Keep him in the lineup this weekend yeah. and just see what happens. He's probably going to get the day off tomorrow. I hope not. I mean, or I, today. I, I think if he gets four at bats a day, that's so much more. Uh, and I get it. people talking about mental health and like getting that rest break. Mm-hmm. And I get it. Like I want to make sure that he's. And I'm sure I want to make sure he's fine with that. Of course, if I'm Brandon Hyde, like I want to make sure of that. But I think there comes a point where you go. You know what? Like we need to make sure this guy can get consistent at bats to break out of the slump because he's hitting 150 right now and he doesn't want to be doing that. I'm sure right. he wants those at-bats. It's so funny because we were talking about how Ben Boom and Chirinos were both hitting 141. And it's like, there's no way Rushman's going to hit that, it's going to be that bad. Oops. And then the other, the other day I looked at the lineup and he was hitting 141. Yeah. And I was like, wow. All right. So my final thought for today. Um, I just, and we talked about it already at length. The Orioles got to get this figured out. Mm-hmm. With... Uh, with with what with the on field product that you've had recently, people coming at you for not spending more than thirty million dollars this year, the all the losing you've done over the last four decades, basically over the last forty years, and then to have it come out that the that there's a lawsuit between the, the brothers between Louis Angelos and his brother and mother, um, it's disheartening and it's an embarrassing look for a, a, a moribund franchise at this point and. I'm just I'm just tired of the embarrassment. I'm tired of the embarrassment. Let's get this thing figured out and let's move forward. Yeah. And I, you know, they say that no press no press uh, no press is bad press. So even if it's bad press, at least you're in, this is bad press. It it's bad to see the ownership of a team that's been a laughing stock of baseball for 30 years now also be squabbling over money with each other. Um it sends a bad message, and when you combine that with the mass and dispute and the fact that they're not spending money, it's um it's frustrating and disheartening. And I think it that is. was that was my main takeaway was not that I'm scared that they're going to move the team because I just so many reasons suggested that it, that that's yeah. not going to happen. But more over the fact that it's just another log on the fire. It is. It's you know? another. It's another blip um, in a long series of them, and I think that. When this, it starts building up, like you said, and it starts to become more disheartening and more disheartening when you see the problems just keep building on themselves. And 
the fact that this is far from over concerns me because yeah. it's, I mean, this is just the very beginning. Lawsuits last forever. I mean, this could go on for three years. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know if it will, but it might. I mean, a lot of lawsuits, they go on forever because they're, I, again, we, me and you are not lawyers. We know nothing about the legal proceedings, but it's probably going to go on for a while. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so I, I'm concerned about that and where it might lead and how much farther apart these brothers might get and how that's going to have an effect on the Orioles in the process. I mean, even Mike Elias, I mean, it's not his job at all and it's not anybody in the front office's job to, to have anything to do with this or to deal with this, but it's got to weigh on them too. Just the fact and, that it's it's happening. And here's the other thing: by the time that this rebuild is fully realized, mm-hmm. right, and they're they're ready to turn that corner, Michael Eyes' contract is going to be up. Yeah. And does he really want to work for a franchise that's in this much upheaval? Yeah, I mean, Michael Elias' job is to come in and rebuild it. Does he want to be there for you know after that and and in result of all these things happening and, and the Orioles being in the in the public eye for a long time now because of some lawsuit that happened? Maybe not. I mean, right. maybe Michael Elias says, "Look, I want to go to another team and rebuild that because I like rebuilding teams." Maybe that's his thing. As as far, maybe. I can't imagine he likes losing this much. Maybe not, but I, I feel but, like there there is a part of being a GM that's in a rebuild that makes you look so good, right? Like mm-hmm. if, if you're if you're having the successes like Michael Elias has, you're I mean, look, the GM of the the Astros right now, I believe his name is James Click, or the or the Dodgers, whoever it is, they're having success, but they're not necessarily praised for it because first of all, the guy who was brought in before them probably put a lot of this in, you know into motion. Right. And they're not necessarily praised for it because the players are so good, and that's what's taking the, I guess, the um, the the light away from them almost. But Mike Elias is kind of at the forefront of this, and he gets to be the guy, and all the right. praise gets it. So if that's his thing. But, I, but I, it could be your thing, but then you have to be around for it to reach the level on the field. True, to get hired somewhere else, right. I guess. And, yeah. and, and if, if, if he leaves here and the Orioles aren't contending... Mm-hmm. Or he leaves here right when they start contending. He didn't get to get to see the fruits of his labors. You're not wrong. And, and that's true too. And, and that's that's for me. You know that that would be a painful thing to put in yeah. all this hard work. Sure. And then see somebody else reap the benefits. Yeah, you're not wrong at all. That you makes know? sense. So, great show today. It was great show today. Stan with a great segment this week and. Um, Hopefully he starts feeling a little bit better yeah. here soon because he's been dealing with some illness for a while now, um, for a few weeks anyway. Uh, really special thanks to Justin Fenton. I was really excited that he agreed to come on the show, and then he was even better than I could imagine. He was that that was cool. That was cool, and it really clarified what we were reading in that article from the Baltimore Banner. Be sure to check that out when it does debut. They gave you a little a little a little taste, and they're going to give you the whole dish here soon. So check that out. And then thanks to Bob Phelan, who's always great. Always comes on and talks about the prospects with us, and really. Um, when when you think about the fact what what he said that Gunnar Henderson is nine months younger at twenty years old than any other player in AAA, and then talks about how Jean Pinto at twenty one years old is still young for high A, yeah, it really makes it remarkable no, what Gunnar Henderson is doing. It's really exciting across the board when you look at Gunnar Henderson and and even Jordan Westberg who got off to a slower start and what he's doing now. It, it's exciting. I mean Gunnar Henderson lefty lefty home run his first at bat yeah. at AAA. I mean the guy's going to be special. against a guy who had, who had big league talent, right? And right. and you look at Gunnar Henderson and you always see Fernando Tatis and Juan Soto and Ronald Acuna, guys who came up as teenagers or twenty years old, yeah. and, and they're they're stars. And you're like, man, the Orioles don't have that guy. They have that guy. I think he's the guy. Yeah. They, they have that yeah. guy, Gunnar Henderson. He's you, at, Gu- Gunnar Henderson. The age that he's at and the talent that he's showing at his age, mm-hmm. he's one of those guys who, when he gets to the big league level, you can see him being a face of the franchise type of thing. Yeah. 
for 15 years. Well, like you said earlier in the show about Anthony Santander, you said, I think you might be the best player to come out of this. Well, I think it's actually Gunnar Henderson. Um, you know, I don't uh, think that anymore. Well, right. No, I'm saying, but that's all right. And, and you have no reason to now. And you had reason to back then, to be yeah. fair. Um, I'm just saying that that is now Gunnar Henderson's title. He should be the, he's going to be probably the best guy to come out of this rebuild outside of Adley Rutschman. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Offensively, he might be better. He, I think, he will be better. Yeah, than, I think he will be. Just to have a twenty, a twenty-year-old guy who can play shortstop mm-hmm. or third base, and, and this is a guy who, seven years from now, we might be having the same conversations about him if he's not extended by the Orioles that mm-hmm. we were having about Manny Machado. How do you not oh, build yeah. around this oh, guy? Yeah. He could be, based on what he's doing at such a young age, and, and look, maybe maybe we're inflating this a little bit, but based on what he's doing at such a young age. This is a guy who could go down as one of the all-time greats that the Orioles. I have hope developed. so. Yeah, I you hope know? so. And, and when you look at the, at the proud history that they've had at shortstop, you go yeah. back to uh, Mark Belanger, and then you go to Cal Ripken, and then you go to uh, and look. Some of these guys, Mike Bordick was a hell of a shortstop. Oh yeah, and the bat was better than I ever gave him credit for, right? And then Miguel Tejada, and then J.J. Hardy, and then Manny Machado to a certain extent. This is this could be a guy who extends that 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 lineage. Hundred percent, you know, definitely. So. Guys, great show. Thank you for tuning in to the Bat Around. We will be back with you next week with some more great guests and more great segments. Until then, see ya.